Hey folks, welcome to episode 88 of the Becoming Human podcast. This episode features my pal Brady Seekills. He's a comedian out of Washington. He's one of the funniest guys that I know who tells my favorite stories. This episode we talk about his penchant for traveling, Ireland's history and international comedy. Last time Brady was on, we talked about shooting fire out of his ass and his love affair with a dog while frying tits on mushrooms. Those can be found on episode 52 on the becominghumanpodcast.com or iTunes, uh, Google Play, wherever you happen to listen to this shit. I got so much snow at my house. They're calling it Snowmageddon. Snowmageddon? What? I mean, I grew up in Idaho. In Idaho, we look that burly bitch in the face and just drive. They shut everything down here. It's wild. I like it, though, because I got to make more shit. That's right. I got to sit in my little hot box of a house and create some stuff and spend time with family and friends. I'll take it as long as it lasts. I hope you guys are staying safe out there and having fun. If you'd like to... Learn more about Brady. You can find him on Instagram and Facebook as Brady Seekules. I'll be sure to leave links to both of those accounts in the show notes. Man, I really love talking to Brady, especially about traveling and comedy. And I've always had a penchant for traveling. But Ireland, Ireland is so cool. Brady and I even got to talking about a little bit of cultural history in ireland and what it's like to do international comedy i hope you guys enjoy this wide-ranging conversation with brady as much as i did i'm a ninja yo my life is like a video game hey brady all right what is your Favorite thing to eat for dinner? Mm, I just had, I don't know if this is what it's called, but Tuscan chicken. Ooh. Uh, it's like a grilled, like, cooked, like we baked it, so it's baked, but then mm-hmm. we, like, broiled it, so it was, like, seared crispy on top. Oh. And then you throw in, like, heavy cream and, uh, like, diced onions that are, like, fried up and, like, mm-hmm. tomatoes and, uh... I think that was maybe it. Some like salt and pepper. So a little bit. So some white sauce. Yeah, oh, super good. That white that sauce. It turns a little favorite. brown because of like the sauteed onions and then like the mm-hmm. chicken juice. Very good. And adding in those tomatoes and yeah. everything. Oh yeah. yeah. That's my yeah. favorite, man. If you were to give me a plate of Alfredo mm-hmm. um, or spaghetti, I'd pick Alfredo every damn day, mm-hmm. man. It's so Alfredo's good. super good. Especially if you get like some whip, uh, heavy cream rather mm-hmm. and put a dash of nutmeg and cinnamon mm-hmm. in it. You mm-hmm. would never think for something savory it tastes so good, but it just balances it just right, mm-hmm. man. I just like doing like a little bit of like cayenne pepper in like anything. Oh, yeah. yeah. Just for like just a little bit. Mm-hmm. Super good. Just spices it up. Yeah, man. Um, we were talking last time. We, the last time we did this, we started talking about eating habits. And I was going to let you know, like, so last time I was like, oh, I eat, I eat anything, I eat everything. And uh, we, beginning of this year, so just like mm, a month ago now, basically, mm-hmm. we started the uh, keto diet. So we're actually on the keto what? diet currently. But yeah, so I, I've uh, actually lost a bunch of weight and I haven't, like, changed my lifestyle at mm-hmm. all. Like, I still don't exercise. But uh, I dropped a bunch of weight just by switching to it, which is great because you can still eat meat and cheese and cream and all the all things the I love. Stuff, yeah. Yeah. And you just like cut out all carbs, which I miss carbs. But <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We actually made a, 
We made, they were uh, egg, ham, and cheese breakfast sandwiches, because you can have egg, ham, and cheese, but then we made it on keto bread, which you just, like, it's homemade, it makes basically a biscuit size, you put it in a mug, Mm -hmm. you throw in um, almond flour, it's like a couple tablespoons of almond flour for like one serving, like one biscuit size, Uh, and then you throw in like one egg, uh, like a a half a cup of like Parmesan cheese, some salt, some pepper, a tablespoon of butter. That's it. You whip it up so it becomes like a paste. You throw it in the microwave for 90 seconds, and then you have this little biscuit. 90-second yeah. biscuit? 90-second biscuit. And I felt like I was from like, I don't know, like, you know in Back to the Future when <laughs> they have like the rehydrator, and yeah. they, they throw in the little tiny dehydrated like one-inch <laughs> pizza into the, the rehydrator, and then it's like, ding, like 10 seconds later, it's a full hot steaming pizza. Like yeah. I felt like that because I have like a baked biscuit in basically like two minutes with prep time. That is awesome. It's super cool. Wow, that's yeah. so convenient. Even more convenient than the little, uh, the tubes that you get of uh, oh right yeah, like the yeah. stuff yeah. yeah i haven't tried any uh keto bread yet yeah it's good oh, it's really sick it. oh uh sorry uh garlic powder and rosemary also go in there like Ooh. fresh rosemary you cut that up and i love rosemary yeah, so that sounds delicious yeah man. it's super good. good yeah wow um so you would eat those for breakfast yeah so yeah we uh we switched to like all all keto and sometimes we'll like we'll be like a little bad and we'll like get um like we'll go out for like a couple beers but i also that was the other thing we talked about like drinking last time and i was like i don't have a problem and i was listening to that (laughs) podcast today and i was like i was like borderline problem at that point it definitely became a problem within like the last year so i like cut way back on my drinking that's great man and did you was it difficult for you to do that um no i mean it was getting to the point where like just out of I didn't feel like I had to, but it was just out of habit, kind of, and just out of, like, uh, yeah, it's kind of my new pastime, just drinking, like, pretty much every night and getting to the point where it was, like, quite a few every night, Mm -hmm. and I was, like, the scary part was that, like, it wasn't messing with me at all, Mm -hmm. and I was, like, I'm not comfortable with the fact that i'm drinking a lot every night when it's and functional having, you're, yeah. it's it's so hard because there's yeah. no nothing telling you to put the brakes on right and you can easily persuade yourself mm-hmm. in those moments like mm-hmm. i've had that with nuts and weed mm-hmm. uh it's definitely cigarettes because i mean i didn't feel the effects of cigarettes at all but i would just smoke and smoke and mm-hmm. smoke um but with nuts mm-hmm. because I, I think i might have talked about this last time but Every time when I was installing Autoglass, I would drive around from, mm-hmm. you know, uh, customer's house to customer's house doing like five or six jobs a day mm-hmm. and, and replacing windshields. Mm-hmm. I was on full keto, mm-hmm. so I was limited in the things that I could eat in the store. Right, right, yeah. So I found mixed nuts and almonds. Mm-hmm. Things you can pick up at like gas stations yes. and stuff. Yeah. And when I was younger, I would eat a shit ton of goldfish. Mm-hmm. Much like goldfish, almonds and mixed nuts are salty, and I love salty things. Mm -hmm. So I'd made it a habit to where every day I'd go get gas, and when I got gas, I'd just get a $2 thing of nuts. I ain't that bad, right? I'd start persuading myself. And then it became every day Mm -hmm. of every week. Mm -hmm. And I mean, like, what? There's two times five ten dollars a week in Mm -hmm. nuts. Mm -hmm. And then sometimes (laughs) (laughs) I'd pass a gas station. And I already would get gas and get nuts. And I'm like, oh, I'm like half a tank. So I weasel on into that gas station and pick up my second bag of nuts. Oh, man. I'm like, I think I have a problem that snuck up on me, man. This happened to me so many times with just other things. But never to the point to where, like, I got to pump the brakes because, you know, um, 
I don't know, I have diabetes or something. You're not going to get diabetes from nuts, but yeah. maybe I'm constipated. There yeah. you go. But yeah. nothing like that has ever happened. Even goldfish. I mean, I didn't get fat mm-hmm. when I should. I felt like shit, but I mean, mm-hmm. so what? Yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah. And so um, that's, that's interesting, though. I'm, dude, that's awesome for you. And you're looking great, too, Thank man. You. Thank yeah. You. Yeah, I was, uh, I did, it was, it was like a close call, like, that mm-hmm. it, that I almost hit like a, like a oh shit moment, because we were, uh, my wife and I we went out and we were gonna have like our plan was like two beers each and then we were gonna go home and so and I was gonna drive back home like we decided before we went out that I was gonna be the driver that night mm-hmm. and so we went out and my problem is after two beers I can't stop at at just two beers mm-hmm. then it's like eight and so we went out I had the two beers and then she was like I want one more and I was like okay. I'm good with another one too. Mm-hmm. And then after that, she's like, I want one more. And I was like, I'll have another one too. So I ended up having like six. And I was still <laughs> like at the point where I was like, yeah, I can drive home. Like we've driven home from this bar a ton of times. We go there often. And so we were like driving back home and we got in. Apparently I was cloudier than I thought because mm-hmm. we got in an argument about what had happened at like during a conversation. Like someone else had entered the conversation and she was like, you said this. And I was like, no, I didn't. Mm-hmm. And she's like, yeah, you said this. And I was like, nah, that's not what happened. <laughs> I was like, that's not how I remember things. And mm-hmm. she's like, that's what happened. And I was like, no, it's not. And I was getting like, I don't know why, but I was getting like worked up about it. Mm-hmm. And because like I had like the adrenaline flowing from like, I definitely didn't say that. And she's like, yeah, you did. And so I was like, Arr! and then we got this new car like a week before. So I was Ooh. driving this brand new, well, not brand new, but new to us, mm-hmm. used car. And uh, it has a lot more get up and go than our old car what does. What car is it? Uh, <laughs> okay. So the car that doesn't have a lot of get up and go is like a, was like a 2005 oh, no. Chevy Aveo. Okay. Like it's a tiny little, like we brought it off of like a young mom. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it's got a ton of miles on it. It's pretty, it's pretty old and, and crappy. But so we had that. And then we got a, uh, it's like a 2000 and, 12 or something it's like a lot newer than the old yeah, one yeah. and it's you got Bluetooth. uh it's yeah it's a, it's a lot nicer it's a toyota camry oh yeah yeah so man. it's like it's like a family car and it's a lot mm-hmm. more like i don't know it's it's got a lot more things that i've never had in a car before. i got a 2012 toyota corolla and that thing's more spunky than the 1994 <laughs> toyota corolla that i had man. yeah yeah so i got this adrenaline flowing i got this like new car new to me i've had it for like a week and this I'm coming up on this car in front of me, and it's going a lot slower than I want to be going. So I, like, I blast past it as we're having this argument after I've had Ooh. six beers, and this cop's sitting like right there. So he just like, flips on his lights, and I'm like, "Shit!" No, no. And so I pull over like immediately. He stops. He gets out of the car, and now my heart's like going so fast because mm-hmm. like I've had like six beers, and I probably shouldn't be driving. And also I was driving an asshole. And I'm yeah. Like, I'm fucked. <laughs> <laughs> and he comes up, and he's like, "Any reason you're driving like that?" And I'm like. Nope. Nope. <laughs> I was like, I'm just being stupid. <laughs> Gonna be honest. And he's like, okay. And then he like goes, and then he came back and he gave me like a reduced speeding ticket. I was going like, what was I going? I was going 52 and a 35 or something, oh. which it was just bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he gave me like, for going like five over, like he gave me a ticket for going Damn. five over. It was like 120 bucks or mm-hmm. something like that. And he's like, reduced, because I don't have a bad driving record. Yeah. And he's like, here you go, just... Don't do that again. And I was like, oh my god. So that was kind of like a the, like the universe giving me like one warning. And mm-hmm. I was like, okay, I'm gonna stop drinking so much. Yeah. <laughs> Pumping yeah, the brakes. Scared the shit out of me though. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah. That's the thing that I um, that fascinates me is 
people's ability to pump the brakes mm -hmm. when they get feedback. Mm -hmm. For instance, you know, for myself, mm -hmm. I haven't had too much of a problem with it. I don't cause much destruction. Mm -hmm. um, I will make different choices. Mm -hmm. But there's other people that I've had in my life um, where they don't do that. And it's like... There's knocking at the door all the fucking time, and it's like they don't they don't open the door and make it ch like it's it's so hard. Yeah. And even like the I work with you know behaviorally challenged children, mm -hmm. um, and just to be very vague, it's kind of a similar thing where it's like we're doing the same thing every day, mm -hmm. but you're getting making poor choices that only hurt you, mm -hmm. the same ones every day. Mm -hmm. And how do you not see beyond that? But then someone like yourself has the capacity to be like, oh shit yep Let, let's just slow down a little yeah. bit here yeah. yeah yeah and just turn it off yeah but. it just yeah like that's the only time like it's never been like i've never had any issues with drinking too much i don't like i don't get hangovers so mm -hmm. like that's not even a thing really i drink like a shit ton and i just never get hangovers what uh the worst that's ever happened to me is like i've like wet the bed like twice from like <laughs> drinking a shit ton and they're just like passing out hard and then i'll like pee the bed but that's like <laughs> like i've never gotten in like legal trouble i've never like like anything nothing negative's yeah. ever happened but i was like i'm getting to the point where it's like getting like i should turn this around like it's getting scary yeah for, for me and just my, my own mind mm -hmm. like i know that i shouldn't be like drinking this much and, you know what's the point of doing anything if not to derive some sort of lasting pleasure from it and right there's a difference between like now pleasure in the now or instant gratification and delayed mm -hmm. gratification like you do comedy right mm -hmm. and there's probably some times where it's difficult for you, but you know that you're working towards something mm -hmm. and you're using the feedback. Oh, it's getting more and more fun or not even that. It's just, mm -hmm. you know, you're going to more and more exciting mm -hmm. places that yeah. you can only dream of, yeah. right? Leveling up like it's, we talked about last yes, time. Yes, exactly. Yeah. But, um, yeah. yeah. And see with like alcohol, people would, I tell them that, you know, I haven't really drank in the past seven years or whatever. Mm -hmm. I'm just coming up in conversation oh yeah that's that's awesome you know mm -hmm. not really i just didn't like the, like I, I had with the hangovers and, and mm -hmm. like i just like smoke pot like yeah and i don't want the alcohol yeah it's like saying that oh you've never done mess good for you it's like yeah i just didn't really <laughs> yeah, want it's to. not my thing yeah <laughs> if it was interesting to me i don't know i'd probably have an experience with it then like, yeah you know what the fuck yeah but it's not some great cabal. And that's where sometimes I feel bad because people close to me, once again, more mm -hmm. alcohol. And I'm like, I don't even know what that's like. Mm -hmm. So, just, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like for me, like, I can have like one or two. And like two is like where I'm like, I'm feeling good. Mm -hmm. And then like, yeah, like I said, like it just became a thing where I could never stop at two. Yeah. And if you can't stop. And then it's not enjoyable. Like one of, um, there's a comedian, um, Andrew Rivers. Mm -hmm. And he has uh, just some. Um, he was on the the last um, Way North show. Um, he was like the headliner guy. Yeah. Um, but he was talking about. Um, he has this joke. I've seen him do a bunch of times. But like, there's like a, a like a bell curve to drinking. And like mm -hmm. after like two, like nothing good happens after like two. <laughs> and like it's like you feel good up until then, and then it gets wor like you think like logically like if I feel good after two, I'll feel even better after four, and then it's just like after like three, it starts to go like back downhill. Like <laughs> yeah, then you start making poor choices and stuff, and so yeah, I think. Andrew's got a good point there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's just like I was like, oh, I feel that in my life right now, and I need to stop. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And does it help you with, like, social situations? Because, like I said, I've been so far removed from it that uh, it's vague in some mm -hmm. sense. Is it, like, does it make you more talkative and stuff? or uh, Having alcohol? Yeah, having alcohol. 
I don't know. Like I said this last time uh, regarding like alcohol and comedy, I don't typically drink before I go on stage because mm-hmm. I like being like just present and sharp. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like more recently, and I usually just didn't drink out at shows. Mm-hmm. Oh God, I'd do the show, then I'd come home and then I'd have a few. Mm-hmm. Um, just kind of like after a show, get really hyped and really just like oh like even if it didn't go just good revel just in the being excitement on stage yeah. yeah i'm like ah oh, and then i would have a hard time like doing a show getting back home at like 11 and then like trying to go to sleep to go to work the next morning or whatever mm-hmm. and i used alcohol to like just kind of like mind numb me mm-hmm. um so i would have like a few at home but like it got to the point where I was like, oh, I did the show. I'm still at the show. I'll have, like, a reward for doing the show mm-hmm. at the show. So then I'd have, like, a couple after the show. Mm-hmm. It was, like, another one of the things, like, in the last – sometime in the last year, I went out and I did. I had one show that I was performing on, and then, like, two hours later, there was a show that I was going to go watch. And it was up in Bellingham, so a lot of the Bellingham, like, comedy community was going to attend the show as attendance because it was, like, an out-of-town comic was coming in. Mm-hmm. So we were all going to go watch. So I did the first show that I performed on, went really well, had a drink with another comic after the show, then he went home, and then I was like by myself for like two hours, so then I had like five more drinks, and then I showed up to this other show, and oh. like I just kind of embarrassed myself, mm-hmm. and like people were like, dude, like, yeah. <laughs> like you're not usually like this out, you should not do this in public, mm-hmm. and I'm like, fuck. So, <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, so kind of, yeah, a couple... Couple, again, pretty minor, but like wake up moments in the last year, and I was like, I gotta not do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so See, that's where my mar- or relationship with marijuana would be could mm-hmm. be a similar thing at times. Because like, if I go somewhere where I'm gonna perform, right, mm-hmm. and I smoke a lot of weed beforehand, or even smoke a little bit of weed, mm-hmm. it's anxiety, and mm-hmm. it's really hard to connect, right? And mm-hmm. you're not sharp, not present and mm-hmm. in the moment. For me, anyways. Mm-hmm. And then I asked myself, why the fuck am I doing this if mm-hmm. I, I hate to be that guy, um, if I have to be feel something else to enjoy it? Mm-hmm. Like I, I'm here to be here, mm-hmm. right? I go running to to feel running. It's not like when this is over, it's better, or if I were high, or if I, you know, etc. Mm-hmm. It's better. So that'd be nice. But having the idea like this is gonna make it good. Mm-hmm. Is for me that's very dangerous. Takes away from the experience itself. Exactly, I'm yeah. not present at all at that yeah. point, and that's I've seen that obliterate me, um, regardless of what I am doing. Mm-hmm. Be- because if I if I hold on to that idea and I cling to that thing as it's like a required thing, then the only thing that'll follow is anxiety, and mm-hmm. that's where I get with like the nuts. That's not a, an addictive fucking thing, by yeah. by any stretch of the imagination. Like, right. but. I created addictive behaviors mm-hmm. based upon how I was thinking about it, you know? Mm-hmm. And I, like, that's interesting when you say like the alcohol is a reward, right? Mm-hmm. Because I get in the same thing like, oh, this is an, you know, the end of a, of a busy day and I need to just right. smoke a joint. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that's my satisfaction. Mm-hmm. However, in the end, it's kind of hollow. Like, like just right. looking at it from the 150 foot view, it's not, mm-hmm. it's not very exciting. Right. Whereas if you were to, Spend your time trying to do something where you feel sharp, mm-hmm. alive, alert, mm-hmm. comedy, for instance, or some discipline, something you work at, right? Yeah. And you get euphoria from doing it, and then after the fact, like, that's timeless, man. Mm-hmm. And the more you do it, you progressively get – the more you do it well, mm-hmm. you progressively get better, and you could feel more excitement, mm-hmm. whereas, like – if you were clinging onto substances, not as like an accessory thing, or you're clinging onto food, these fleeting 
things, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it, really instant gratification. I mean, even food, just pick it up and eat it. Hunting, I guess, maybe a different thing. Delayed mm-hmm. gratification, all that work, you can't really be a glutton on hunting unless you're like a sociopath. But <laughs> <laughs> And uh, with that, though, it's there's it's a diminishing point of return, right? Like you, you even do heroin. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, and I noticed like my tolerance increasing with alcohol, too. Mm-hmm. Like when I would go out like once a week or like it started once every like few weeks and then it was once a week and then it was like, you know, Saturday, Sunday and then like, yeah, and then Friday, Saturday, Sunday and then it was like pretty much every night. Mm-hmm. And like when you go out, once in a while, it's super enjoyable, mm-hmm. and then when it's like becomes like a daily thing, it's like not even enjoyable. I was just like, I was like drinking because it's like, oh, it's it's after work. I'm gonna have drinks. Yeah, exactly. It's like, I don't even know why I'm doing this. <laughs> <laughs> That's where I got with cigarettes. So I was on mushrooms and I was looking at my vape. And I'm like, this thing is literally three inches wide and five inches tall. Mm-hmm. It can fit in some of my pockets. <laughs> some of them if you have big cargo shorts on yes <laughs> when i have the tight pants it does not work yeah. not at all yeah um it looks like i have a cancerous dick or something <laughs> something square but <laughs> why is it like that <laughs> yes and i would just wonder like what's the point mm-hmm. what's the point of all of this mm-hmm. literally from birth to death mm-hmm. just people have talked about it like pleasure-seeking apes right mm-hmm. just trying to have fun trying to survive mm-hmm and why at that time in my psychedelic state i suppose it's like why is this thing becoming a part of my need to survive mm-hmm. because it's unnecessary if i don't have it that anxiety is false if i don't have food right an ideal amount of food not mm-hmm. overeating right that makes sense to be anxious and worried if i don't mm-hmm. have water that makes sense if i don't have a place on over my head that that makes sense too mm-hmm. but this is irrational mm-hmm. And how do I remove myself from it? Because going back to it, just surviving mm-hmm. and then excitement, right? Like mm-hmm. community. Mm-hmm. And this has nothing to do with that. And yeah. trying to devoid myself of it. Because I think I talked about it on the other one about being like four years sober from just general substances. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then I came back to them, like mushrooms, right, weed yeah. and stuff. Because yeah. it's like, well, I did have addictive behaviors, but... Instead of avoiding these addictive behaviors, now that I've spent some time away from it, can I work on it? Mm-hmm. And I'm here to tell you, nope. <laughs> no, I'm no. kidding. <laughs> it's the hardest part. <laughs> this took a turn. Okay. Yes. No. Uh, but uh, I'm learning more and more. It's like it's difficult. It's really hard because mm-hmm. it's really hard to just be disciplined. It's hard to mm-hmm. tell myself to. Uh, it could be even writing a thousand words a day. Like mm-hmm. That is fucking difficult. Mm-hmm. But I guess... The most fun thing is to do difficult shit in hindsight. Yeah. When you're looking back on it, right? Yeah. And yeah. So that's where I'm at. Even with weed is like I'm starting to do um, like two weeks on, one week's off, one week off, and then making sure I don't do straight days in a row or strict strict times. That sounds really complicated, but it's yeah. not like laid out and saying, oh, did I, did I smoke weed last night? Okay, probably shouldn't. <laughs> yeah. Basically. Yeah. 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 But. Makes sense. And so... When did you, recently you got back from traveling internationally? Yeah, we, uh, Ashley and I went to Ireland. Um, mm-hmm. We did a, a two-week road trip around, uh, started in Dublin, uh, which is on the east coast of Ireland, and it's about halfway up the country, and then we went south, so we did basically the whole perimeter, we went south along the perimeter, um, did like uh, uh 
Kilkenny, Kenmare. Uh, we went over to the Dingle Peninsula. Wait, we did like, what? yeah, Dingle. <laughs> I really, I didn't get like, I wanted to get like strawberries and Dingle and be like, I'm eating Dingleberries, but I didn't get a chance to do it. They actually, it, I probably could have. They had like a food festival, like an international huge food festival mm-hmm. in Dingle. Like Dingle's a pretty. It's kind of a bigger town, but it's a pretty small town. Mm. There's not a lot of big, huge cities in Ireland. They're mostly smaller for the most part. Mm-hmm. And uh, but like it's one of those festivals where like the population increases by like tenfold. Wow! During this like three day festival, mm-hmm. and we had no idea that we like happened to book like a really good <laughs> Airbnb six months ahead of time in this town on the weekend of this international food festival, Ooh. which was like cool. But also we kind of wanted that like small town vibe. And then like the first night we got there was like real small town. And then the next day, like 10,000 people showed up and we're like, ah! <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> but uh, so that was cool. And then we did like, we saw like the Cliffs of Kerry, which are super cool. We saw the Cliffs of Mower, which are amazing. Cliffs of, what's Cliffs of Mower? Um, like if you could describe it. it <laughs> I should like pull up some pictures and I'll just like show you as I'm like describing them. But, um, just these huge, super picturesque cliffs that like, there's like, there's this one vantage point and then you look out and these cliffs are probably like 300 feet tall coming straight up out of the ocean. And then, and then they go on to like a, a vanishing point like out and it was really like misty and rainy that day oh, that's cool. and so it's like you're standing at this point and you just see these straight up and down cliffs just like into the mist Whoa. and then the ocean and it was super cool just like a straight wall yeah that's i was actually awesome. yeah yeah it looks like the wall from game of thrones oh right? yeah that's what it looks like but um we actually i was super <laughs> i didn't enjoy going to the cliffs of mower because <laughs> the day before we'd been in dingle mm-hmm. at that er Maybe it wasn't Dingle, but we were in, maybe it was, we were in a town and we stayed in like 12 different towns while we were there over the course wow. of like two weeks. So we All did a Airbnbs? lot of, um, a couple of B&Bs, mostly Airbnbs and then, then like one hotel, Oh, that's right. but yeah. Um, but we were in, in it, doing the perimeter of Ireland, you're in all coastal towns. And so we had a lot of seafood. And so in this one town, I ate a bunch of seafood. And then the next day, I was super sick. I got like crazy food poisoning because I had this plate of like 75 like mussels, like straight out of the ocean. I've never had mussels before. And they were super good. And then that night, I got crazy sick. And then so we were at the Cliffs of Moor, and it was crazy cold, crazy windy, kind of rainy. And I'm sick, and I'm just—I was like, "Oh, it's super picturesque," and I'm just miserable right now, <laughs> like crazy food poisoning. But uh, yeah, and then we went uh, north. We saw some—we saw so much cool stuff, like just castles, uh, monuments to like the famines that happened. Um, What's one of the coolest castles that you saw? Like, were there quite a few castles in Ireland? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's crazy. Like over because the year before we did England and Scotland. And just that part of the world, England, Scotland, Ireland, are probably other places. I know Germany has castles too, but I've only been to England, Scotland, Ireland. And they have so many castles over there that they're not – like some of them aren't even named. Like obviously the big touristy ones like have like a front gate and like ticket hours and that kind of stuff. But you you drive down the freeway and there's like the ruins of a castle out there. And there's not even a sign for it because no it's way. just been there for a thousand years and no one knows what it is. It's just no, oh, that's just a castle. <laughs> out there in the field we've never named it but uh it's like how mountains are over here in the west yeah exactly it's like oh that's that's the foothills that's not the mountain yeah um just a pile of rocks over there oh uh we went to the um glendalough glendalo monastery Mm -hmm. so it's in this um while we were over there ashley was saying that l-o-u-g-h 
is pronounced lock, just mm-hmm. how like in like uh, Scotland, like lock is, means lake, like Loch Ness. Mm-hmm. Um, but she was saying like, even though it looks like low is pronounced lock, but then I did this like pronunciation thing today and it was like Glendalough or Glendalough. So there's kind of like a ha ha to it, but it's not like. Well, we don't do that though, right? Yeah. As as English, yeah, we don't loch. Yeah, Glendalough. Like you're gargling. Yeah. Um, Like Yiddish, I can't even do that. Yeah, but this is like sorry, I'm just like all over the place. If you're looking at a map right now, I'm just like (laughs) bing 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 all over Ireland. But uh, so the this is uh, south of Dublin. So like we spent our first couple of days in Dublin. I did a comedy show in Dublin, which was super cool, and then we headed south. So our first day out of the city, we passed through uh, the Glendalough, Glendalough. Um, it's like a valley, and it has these like monastic ruins in it. This like old monastery from like sixth century. Wow. And so like this was like across like the river, and Ooh. then you can see in the background there's like the big like spires. They That's had these so pretty. Yeah, they had these big like round towers that was like it's probably like. 75 feet tall and then the door and this is where like the like the monastic community would like keep their valuables Mm -hmm. and so if it was kind of like a lookout tower because it's super tall and i the the door of it though was about 12 feet off the ground whoa what so it's just like a smooth wall and then the door is 12 feet up there so they'd throw out a rope ladder if they were using it and they would go up and down the rope ladder and then once they got like 12 feet off the ground was kind of like the first floor Mm -hmm. and then i assume there was a spiral staircase going up the inside and then up at the top they had a window looking out in each direction and then that's where they kept like their like their holy texts and like any gold or anything that they had Whoa. up in the top of this tower. And then if they were looking out and they saw like raiders coming, they would like real quick bring everything up there, roll up the rope ladder, and then it was basically like impenetrable. Like that's so cool. Yeah, it was rad. Dude, so. imagine being able being the one to fucking sit there on watch mm-hmm. the whole time. Yeah, just up there on the round tower. Oh yeah. Yeah. And then so they had that was like the main settlement we went to let's see this was a lot further along in the trip this was more northern so this is after we looped around so we started in um uh dublin and then we did like the southern half and then if you go you start like the midway point in ireland and then you do like a looper on the south to like directly across is galway Mm -hmm. and then this was somewhere north of Galway, there's a, a small town called Kong. Mm-hmm. And so we went to Kong and they had like the ruins of an abbey there too. What's an abbey? Um like a like a again, like a religious settlement. Oh, so they okay. had like like a ruined church. So like that's like the ruined church. Whoa, that's so cool. So like, like the three arches in there. Yeah. We saw a lot of this kind of like ruined church. So these churches are from like the like thirteen hundreds or something like mm-hmm. that. And so you see, like, the, the roof is always gone on all these buildings because, like, the roof is, like, wood, probably. Oh, and, yeah. And then the um, – or it couldn't support itself. But, like, shitty the, the walls yeah, – <laughs> Yeah, shitty 13th century engineers. <laughs> um, actually, I think this was older. Like, Whoa. this was, like, super old. 
but so you always see like the the standing walls and then like the archways where like the stained glass or at least some kind of glass probably was wow. some sort of windows. Imagine making glass then. Yeah, it was super cool. We saw some amazing like churches and stuff. Really? That's yeah. I'm not religious, but mm-hmm. that is probably one of my favorite is like the Gothic cathedral yeah. kind of look and the old yeah. churches. Yeah. Yeah. Like, um but yeah, that was like the the main like abbey where like the kind of it, it's also kind of like the the center of the town back then was like so like the um where like basically like you know the big events of the town would happen well, yeah historically um wasn't it more of a religious thing with, with the government and governing bodies yeah ireland was very religious so and there was there was a lot of pockets of again those those monasteries and stuff and a lot of like early christianity like held on when different like people were conquering and stuff there was like pockets like cloisters mm-hmm. of monks that like held on and kept like transcribing like the written word mm-hmm. so that's how like like oral tradition and written tradition like kept being carried on because these like pocketed little pockets of like monks just kept re transcribing documents and mm-hmm. stuff like we saw the book of kells what's the book of kells um, that was in, um, Dublin. We went to Trinity College. Um, I'll show you one more picture real quick from mm-hmm. Kong yeah, Abbey. Yeah. So, so that was, uh, so that's like the Abbey. And then out back, there's a river. Whoa. So this is the river out back. And this little house right here mm-hmm. is, uh, where the, again, the monks would hang out. This is called the monks fishing house. And so wow. you can see it's built on the river. It's over the river. Mm-hmm. It's a, a small stone house. This this whole house was probably as big, like a little bit bigger than this kitchen table. Wow. You could probably fit like two or three people in it at the most. And all it was was inside there was these little like stone benches. And like that was it. And then there's a hole in the floor because it's built on stilts over the river. Uh-huh. And so they'd throw a net down, like drop it down. And then the fish would swim through the stilts into the net and they'd pull it up. And so that was their fishing method to provide for like their... Again, they're like their church or their settlement. That's so cool. Yeah, I thought that was rad. Wow. Um, but yeah, Kong Abbey was super cool. Especially to be dedicated to to having to like we have to get our food, and mm-hmm. if we don't, we're screwed. Mm-hmm. So that's awesome. The closest you can get to that is um, ice fishing in the shacks now. Yeah, which, that's, yeah, that's exactly what it was like. It was like ice fishing, but like I mean, and they had this like it was a pretty small hole, so I don't oh. know how they like. I mean, it was bigger than that, but oh, like. Okay. That was because the cord was yeah, there. Yeah, it was bigger than that, but it was... like a janky-ass fish there. Never mind. Yeah, it was... I don't know how they did it, because it was more like... Now I'm thinking about it. It was pretty, like, long and rectangular, <laughs> so they'd probably drop some sort of, like, wide net down, mm-hmm. and then maybe the fish would just, like, hit this barricade and can, like, swim back upstream, and then maybe they, like, waist-deeped down into the water and got the fish. Oh, I really yeah. don't know how they did it, but, like, oh, it was super cool. That's awesome. You asked another question there, and... Hey. Still talking about Kong Abbey. Um, I find it fascinating how they'd influence culture, though, and how that would. Oh yeah, Book it, of Kells. Yeah, yeah. What's Book of Kells? Yeah. So we went to uh, Trinity College, and which was like <laughs> super. I don't know. Like I don't want to say it was like Hogwarts because <laughs> like that's just overdone. But it was like Hogwarts. Um, <laughs> it was just like so they have this huge. 
Let's see if I can find this picture. Like big dusty library kind yeah, of. Yeah, like Whoa. like blow your mind library. Oh my gosh, so, that's like like that roof is probably rows of books high. Yeah, the roof more. is probably well. I mean, this point of the roof, and then it's like domed too, but it's probably like a oh. hundred feet tall. And then they have these books. These books were organized by size. So they had big books down at the bottom. And, like, because they didn't have, like, standardized books back then. Mm -hmm. So they had, like, the big, they're, like, two feet tall, two and a half feet tall, like, it, like, I don't know, ten inches thick. Jesus. Like, two feet deep. These huge-ass books that, like, you have to, like, open up and covers, like, a whole table. And then, like, further up the shelf, about halfway up, they had, like, uh, like a book we think of today, where you mm -hmm. just kind of hold in two hands, and then up at the top they had these little tiny books that were like postage stamps. <laughs> what? Like yeah, like they just like they didn't have any like so the, yeah they sorted big books at the bottom, little books at the top, <laughs> and that's how they sorted. It. I thought it was insane, but that yeah, I just. Wild. And then these these statues going all the way down, those were like famous thinkers. There was like a William Whoa. Shakespeare. Um, just rows upon rows upon rows. Yeah. So we went there. That was super cool. Um, but yeah, there was also a museum on uh, the Trinity College campus um, that showed the Book of Kells. And the Book of Kells is a very, again, those those like cloistered monastic settlements mm -hmm. where they would just like spend all their time like transcribing and so these were all handmade um like leather bound books um and from i don't remember what it's called it's like it's like veal but that's not the word but it's like the skin of young calves oh i yeah i don't remember what it was called either what yeah wine skin no not wine skin yeah, I don't remember what it's called, but they like that's what they made their pages out of, and then they would make their pigments out of like you know berries and like different like minerals and things like oh. that, and then they would hand scribe these Parchment. super ornate. Yeah, but they have another like yeah, a word cooler for it. name. Yeah, yeah. Velum cooler or something. Name. Yeah, 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 and but like just like super like I don't know. Like, today on the computer, you just pull up, like, a font mm -hmm. that looks all, like, cool and swirly, but that was just their handwriting. Oh. And just really ornate, like, unicorns and half lions, half people what? stuff in the margins. And, like, some of it was, like, inlaid with gold. They would have had to draw on that, right? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And so they do, like, these, like, crazy things, like, in the margins and stuff. And, like, it's those where, you know, like, on the page where the first letter on the page is, like, really big and overdone mm -hmm. and, like, glitzified. Yeah. I was like, the blah, blah, blah. And, like, the T is huge. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, it was super cool. Wow. So we got to see that. And that was, again, the Book of Kells was kind of, like, a collection of... Um, like the Gospels, and so, and they had like pocket Bibles. Whoa! And back then, like a pocket <laughs> book, like there's like there's like the, the like the pocket New Testaments that mm -hmm. you get from like the drawer in the hotel or whatever, and they they can they're like a wallet and they can like fit in your pocket. Yeah. And back then, like a pocket book was like, like probably like five square inches, but then like ten inches thick. Oh my this gosh! Huge ass book, and like they would put it in their like satchel or whatever, and then they would like walk around and then they go to like a town and then they bust out this. <laughs> big ass book but back then it was a small book because the <laughs> yeah. other books were three feet tall and then they would like <laughs> witness carry it. yeah yeah and then they're like witness or whatever to like wow. that was like the missionary work back then i thought it was rad that is so cool and yeah especially the amount of work that would have to be put to be able to transcribe and copy books over since mm -hmm. you know just like you were saying right you you type on a keyboard and you could put a thousand words down mm -hmm. really quickly right mm -hmm. um in some case in a minute mm -hmm. and 
if you want to make another book, just copy and paste that shit over, right? Mm-hmm. Or tell the printer to print double. Mm-hmm. But then print it's double, like, do it. Yeah, do it. Do now. it, machine. <laughs> and if it doesn't work, you just hit it a little bit. Yeah. Then, well, back then, just having to copy it down. Mm-hmm. And then I'm imagining from what I've read, a select few people actually know how to do that. Mm -hmm. So it's like you could spend your whole life Mm -hmm. committed to that and barely in today's terms, make a mark Mm -hmm. on what you could produce now. Yeah. And it changes your relationship with it because Mm -hmm. there's like, just like with, I mentioned hunting, right. And Mm -hmm. it being kind of difficult or pretty difficult to be uh, gluttonous with your food. If Mm -hmm. you're reliant on, on hunting, not that I'm advocating everyone should be, um, (laughs) But it's the same with that, like writing. Your relationship to writing with having to put so much work and effort into it mm-hmm. is different. Not in a hierarchy is better or worse, but just different. Man. Mm-hmm. And cool. I've heard, like, in some, like, sometimes when they were copying it over, and, like, different groups would be very precise about their copying. And if they, like, if they copied an entire page and then they made, like, a like a typo or, like, you know, wrote the wrong word or did a letter weird or whatever, they'd have to scrap the whole thing and start over. But in the book of Kells, it's interesting because they would just they would just write and it's super beautiful, it's super ornate, and they would write and then if they like missed a word, like if they forgot to put like a the or an of, they would add it when they realized they missed it, but it wasn't even like doing an arrow and then writing of above the line. It was like pages later. <laughs> they would just write oh of in the margin of like pages later or like this so there's like random words in the margins too and you're like what is that and then you're oh it's from three pages back they forgot the word over there <laughs> yeah that is so wild yeah it was wild wow and you, it's so surprising how far we've come in certain respects mm-hmm. in our ability to be able to articulate and express our ideas mm-hmm. and record it Mm-hmm. Right, like you even think of like this format where it's you know conversation. I mean, people have been having conversations for years, but just for looking years. Or, since centuries. Yeah, centuries. You see how it's evolved over time, right? Mm-hmm. And it's fascinating, especially writing. What what was the dominant religion in Ireland then? Uh, it was uh, Christianity, Catholicism. There's actually like, a huge divide um, between Protestants and Catholics, and even to super recently. So like we went to uh Derry is northern It's a lot of cows. <laughs> <laughs> D E R R Y. Oh. <laughs> um and so it's a very uh so in like the 70s they had a, a period of time and I'm just want to throw out this disclaimer I'm not an expert on Irish history at all. I'm just kind of like saying some things that I remember from my trip. But so um <laughs> So like here's so if this if this were Ireland and then like England and Scotland are over here and at their closest point Scotland and Ireland are like I think it's like 13 or 16 miles away. Wow. There's like a, like a tip thick and they're not like this but it's like a little fringe and a little fringe. They're like crossing swords almost. Yeah. 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 Tips. Yeah. Tips are yeah. Close. yeah. Yeah. So like they're, yeah their tips are close. <laughs> um, but so like way up in this corner uh, the northern corner of Ireland like closest to the other side, the mm-hmm. UK, um, is Derry. And even up until the 1970s, they had the Troubles where, so it was Derry, but then it was also London Derry, like the mm-hmm. town. It was a pretty big town, um, but it was like under British control. But then the Irish were like, no, this is our, this is our land. And the, and the English were like, no, this is part of 
uh, English territory, and so they they were like, fighting about it. And then people like the people of Derry like rose up. This is in the 1970s. Wow, the people like, yeah, the people like rose up, and they were, they were throwing like so the British government came in with like armored cars and stuff and the people like rose up with like Molotov cocktails and rocks and stuff and there was this huge um thing that happened and it was building for years Mm -hmm. but this huge thing and all all, like i think it was like 13 civilians or something like that were killed um in this action so we went to Derry, and they have all these giant um on the sides of buildings these giant murals that depict uh, the violence that happened and then just kind of like the, the outcome and the um, the resolution to it. But it's these on probably like three to four story buildings. So three or four story tall murals Wow. that depict like little kids in gas masks, like throwing Molotov cocktails at military Whoa. like armored trucks and stuff. And then there's like one that's like um, it was actually drawn by like school children and it like depicts like supposed to be the the piece afterwards like and uh it was like super recently it was like 2008 or something again i don't have my facts right but it was like 2008 like pretty recently the british government apologized and said that they were in the wrong for like what had happened there Wow. so it was super intense but yeah there's this one there's this one mural that's supposed to depict it's kind of like the the resolution to it and it's um supposed to represent peace and so like dairy is actually like a I don't know what the word, like English Englishized word for like um the like traditional word was like spelled different and it just kind of sounds like dairy, but it meant like oak tree. Mm. And so these school kids like designed this thing where it's like an oak leaf and then it's also turns into a dove. It's like a single line that's like an oak leaf and then inside of it is also a dove. And then there's like panels, like colored panels. And so like in the lower corner, it starts as like dark blues. And then as you go up, it moves into like orange and red and then like a yellow. So, and like the dove is like flying towards that. It's supposed to be like coming from darkness and moving towards like the light and towards peace mm-hmm. and like kind of the symbol of peace wow. and also the symbol of oak tree which is what dairy meant mm-hmm. and it was super cool that's power that is so cool yeah it's and like, that's like that's recent history that's mm-hmm. the 1970s yeah, especially like, with the recent i imagine it's palpable when you go to somewhere like that mm-hmm. right? yeah with with brexit and everything mm-hmm. and like that's still a major like talking point for them is like how that part of northern ireland mm-hmm. um is kind of like their what they call it, like the backstop i think it's their like Basically, people are, like, worried that, like, oh, like, if we, like, exit from the European Union and, like, which they're going to soon. Mm-hmm. But um, Brexit is happening and they're kind of worried. It's, like, the same talk we have over here about, like, the wall and, like, building a mm-hmm. wall. And people are coming in and people could come in through Northern Ireland. And it's, like, a whole, like, thing over there. Wow. Like, just, like, politically still charged. But their history is, like, it's still going on. It was, like, I mean, obviously, history is always happening. Mm -hmm. But, like, it's still supercharged. It was intense in the 1970s. It was intense in the 1300s, like, all in the same place. Wow. And it's super, like, we don't have history like that over here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But, see, that's the thing that that I feel so naive um, about, like, as if I'm, like, a child, right? Mm -hmm. Not being able to experience or see these things. Mm Because 
the, our country is so young. Mm-hmm. There isn't there isn't really that like in terms of our culture. Our culture is so young. Yeah. And and with all of that, like the oldest thing that you have are far, are barns, mm-hmm. and they're starting to fall over. And yeah. Like that. That's you know hundred within a hundred years. I mean, our country is a lot older than that. But I'm yeah. just saying, like our cultural remnants. You, mm-hmm. you hardly find buildings. You know, uh, old buildings that are left behind or or archaic forms of culture. You mm-hmm. see that in like native people with uh, Native Americans. Um, with like pueblos, you know, mm-hmm. down south and, mm-hmm. and, and Mexico, so on and so forth. But that established culture is fascinating to me because, in terms of like civilization, mm-hmm. there's so much history that I don't understand mm-hmm. and that I haven't had yet to see. So I don't even understand the magnitude of it, like being mm-hmm. able to even see the pyramids, for instance, mm-hmm. right? Or these old churches and mm-hmm. immerse myself in what has happened. Because mm-hmm. You know, even though it's modern, I've realized, and I didn't know this when I was a kid, history sucked. <laughs> I know. It's, the textbooks yeah. are boring as shit, like, mm-hmm. and they still are. I, yeah. But if I can, like, think about it and try to imagine it, get imaginative with it a little bit, mm-hmm. uh, they can be interesting. But now, now it's, it's, like, my, like, favorite subject. Yeah. Like, it's so cool. And it's so relevant. And I never thought that it would be, because it's like, mm-hmm. oh, these old fucks and their chariots with swords and mm-hmm. shit. I got guns and I can fly planes. Yeah. But it's like psychologically in the experience of what it is just like what it is to be a human being mm-hmm. despite um the accessories of the times mm-hmm. whether it's computers you know or books not even having books and just everyone going to plays and shit mm-hmm. that's a very crude generalization but <laughs> um it's still interesting to see how those people think and how they've wrestled with reality right mm-hmm. within their context and, yeah um you get me all pumped up because this summer I'm going traveling. So yeah, it's yeah, I, I'm really excited. Man. Traveling's the best. Have you? Did you get a chance to talk with like uh, local people in Ireland and mm-hmm. get a feel for their culture? And then could you kind of like elaborate on what you notice the differences between our culture and their culture, or the people that you met there compared to like friends here? Yeah, one thing I would say that. <clears throat> um, People keep saying, like, oh, like, so I've been over to the UK and to Ireland. And when I tell people that, they're like, oh, it must be so different over there. Like, people assume, like, warm beer, bland food. (laughs) Um, I don't remember. And, like, when I was a kid, I remember, like, growing up and my aunt and uncle, when I was, like, eight years old, they had, like, traveled over the UK. And they talked about, like... Oh yeah, and they, they they serve their milk warm and like and it's so different and uh maybe it was a few decades ago and maybe it's just like globalization is changing things and and everyone's just kind of becoming like homogenized but mm-hmm. like it's like no, they had they had cold beer like everything. I mean, we ate a lot of like cool food, mm-hmm. a like, very different food than we have over here. I got to try like blood sausage, I had haggis. Ooh, blood sausage um, is delicious. Yeah. Man. I had jellied blood sausage. It's like a different kind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it's like it's a cold and in like a cream soup with tripe. Whoa. Yeah. We went to this like soup. We went to the uh, English market in Cork and they've had this market there since. I keep saying the 1300s, but I think it was since like <laughs> this. This was more recent. Resident this is like. Yeah. They, they've had a market there, but the building like the big building that we went into that has been there for like at least a couple hundred years. And. Um, they just have, like, we wandered through this market, and they had stuff I'd never seen. It's just, like, they have, like, whole, like, 
you know, like pigs' heads out, oh. and like the butcher shop has like pigs' heads and like skinned some sort of whole skinned small animal that I don't know what even what it was. And then they had all these like fish on display. Like think the the fish market in Seattle. Mm-hmm. It was like that, but times like ten oh. with fish I'd never seen before. I was like, I don't even know what that is. <laughs> like I've never seen that in my life. It's not even like the fish we have over here. It's different fish, and uh, just like their their vegetables, and they had like. 20 buckets like overflowing like bountiful buckets of different kinds of olives and stuff and so it's a super cool but then we went up into this um restaurant that's above the market and every morning the chefs go down and they gather the fresh ingredients and then every day or probably every couple of days they have like a different menu there and so we had like lamb's liver with like some sort of like carrot puree and then like this like the, again, the cold like tripe and um, blood jelly blood sausage mm-hmm. dish, and so we're like eating it, and Ashley's eating it, and like I thought she knew what tripe was, mm-hmm. and she was like going for it. And I was like, oh, she's really brave because she's usually a pickier eater than I am, and she's like, this is really good. What's tripe? And I'm like, oh, I thought you knew, so I had to tell her it's from the like, cow's like fourth stomach or something. <laughs> I don't know. And she's like, oh, this is no longer appealing. <laughs> this is no longer. She's like, it was good. Until <laughs> now. Yeah, but it's super cool. That's rad, man. Yeah. And especially, like, getting introduced to those kinds of foods. Because, I mean, yeah. here it's, what, uh, like uh, Thai, Indonesian, yeah. Chinese food, yeah. generally. Yeah. Um, and American food, Mexican food. Oh, the big uh, Irish food, man. Yeah. Oh, it's so yeah. cool. Yeah, Irish food is super good. Haggis is delicious. What's haggis? Haggis is... When everyone thinks of haggis, they think of a ball of stuff wrapped in a sheep's stomach. Oh, ooh. And I never had it that way. That's like the old school traditional way, mm-hmm. how I had it. It's still, um, what is it called? Awful is mm-hmm. the like internal organs. <laughs> oh, I thought of, you meant it's awful. No, I know. Okay. No, it's like O-F-F-A-L or something. So oh. it's like the internal organs, like the heart, liver, lungs mm-hmm. of um, a sheep. And it's like ground up ooh. and it's got spices and then it's like fried, so it's like it's like the texture of like cooked ground beef, mm-hmm. but it's all those organs cut up. And then they used to wrap it inside of the of the sheep's stomach mm-hmm. and serve it that way. And so that's what again, probably decades ago, people were like, oh, it's wrapped in sheep's stomach, blah, and they get all freaked out. And I ordered it like I had it for lunch, dinner, and then a breakfast again. I had it three meals in a row what? when I was in Scotland because it's super good. good. Yeah. No so like a traditional Scottish breakfast includes haggis, and so like I had it for breakfast. And I was like, oh, that's cool. I like yeah. that move, man. Yeah. yeah. And um. Did you taste any distinct flavors that came from organ meat? Because sometimes I experience that with liver. However, um, mm-hmm. liver is really fucking good for you, mm-hmm. and organ meats in general. Mm-hmm. So I try to eat those yeah, more. Yeah, they have that more metallic blood taste to mm-hmm. them. But within the haggis, with like the, I don't even know what spices they are, but with it cut up into very small pieces mm-hmm. and then fried with the spices, it's just, I don't know how to describe it. It's just. It didn't. You didn't have that metallic-y taste to it. I didn't it. think about that because if you were to use something like powerful, uh, random, probably wouldn't taste good, like a curry, right? Mm-hmm. It, then you definitely could not even just mask it. You could turn it into something very powerful. Yeah. You know? yeah. yeah. It's super unique. And again, Ashley's a pickier eater than I am, and mm-hmm. she like tasted it. She's like, it tastes good. Conceptually, I can't get over what it is. <laughs> so she only had like a couple bites of it, but. Yeah. Yeah, now, like, they're, I don't know if it's, like, a new, you know how, like, cuisines change, so I don't know if it's, like, a new tradition, Mm -hmm. or if it's, like, an adaptation of the old school, but so it's, it's served as, like, a pile of this, like,
uh, cooked meat, basically. Mm -hmm. And then um, often I had it with a side of um, so parsnips, mm -hmm. um, like think like uh, mashed potatoes, but made out of parsnips. Mm -hmm. So oh. mashed parsnips, and they call them in uh, Scotland. They call parsnips and potatoes neeps and toddies. <laughs> Neeps and toddies. Yeah. And actually, I read this like travel book before we went, this like Rick Steves travel guide. Mm -hmm. And so I saw neeps and toddies on the menu. It was like, I know what that is. Yes. <laughs> but so, yeah, they do like a, like a, a neeps, like a, a mashed parsnip, like little bowl with this, um, like whiskey gravy. Ooh. And then like the, the haggis on the side. And it was so good. That sounds delicious. Yeah. I had that like four times while we were over there. Yeah. I want to try mashed parsnips because I moved away from the, the potatoes, parsnips have a little more carbs in it, but mm -hmm. the they're delicious, man. Mm -hmm. And it feels like I'm on drugs. But there's <laughs> that's the placebo effect. Yeah. I take it and then I go do like jujitsu or running, mm -hmm. and the same with the liver, placebo. Mm -hmm. And I feel jacked. Yeah, I'm like all about it, and I yeah. had no idea because one day I was just like, why am I feeling so good? Mm -hmm. And I ate parsnips. So mm -hmm. I'm like, well, logical, unscientific conclusion. Parsnips, <laughs> parsnips are a superfood. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So I started eating them more, and they're delicious. And I mean, I've never thought to mash them, though. I just usually you make parsnip chips, which yeah. are sometimes great, unless yeah. you're like me and fuck it up at least like a quarter of the time. Yeah. Then you just kind of got to force feed yourself. But Yeah, nah, yeah we've played around uh, with parsnips here a couple times in our food. But mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, like... I, I don't feel like it's a huge cultural difference other than a lot of Ireland is very rural. And like I said, we road tripped around it. Mm -hmm. So we got to drive through a lot of very rural areas mm -hmm. for like seven hours oh, straight. Yeah. Um, super pretty, super rural. When you get like more north and more rural, you get into pockets where they speak like traditional Irish. Ooh. And so, like, all the road signs, like, I think when you switch over into Northern Ireland, all the road signs switch into, like, the predominantly, like, not English. And you're like, oh. Really? <laughs> yeah. Whoa. So that was super. Um, I'm ignorant. I did not know that they would have a not English, like, yeah. representation of language. Well, that's yeah. a weird way to put it. But. Yeah. Well, because, I mean, in, in, like, the UK, right, it's still, you still read it. Yeah. But in the UK, you, everything is in English. But can you, you can't read Irish. Because mm -mm. what is it like Gaelic or some shit? I don't know. I made that word up. I, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so. I'm like. I don't know. Yeah. I'm like being interviewed. Like I'm the expert now. Like I have no idea. I just went there. Um, it sounds like me every time. Yeah. But yeah. So my wife actually collects Harry Potter books, Ooh. and she has like like 30 some Harry Potter books and you're like what there's only like seven books in the series it's because she has the whole series several times over and then she has all like the side spin-off books of like um like the Fantastic Beasts and all the oh, books yeah. like the school books that they talk about in the main books mm -hmm. but when we're in this um where were we we're in again another small coastal town in Ireland, just like we were the whole time and we went into this um bookstore and she was like oh I should get over here, because we went to the UK, she bought like the like the most recent edition of the whole of all seven books. Oh yeah. Um, with these like these covers from the UK that we don't have over here, Ooh. so she like bought the whole box set, and then she was like, "Oh, I should try to find something like that since we're in Ireland." Mm -hmm. And she asked the shopkeeper, and the shopkeeper was like, "Yes, like literally the day before they got in for the first time, the first book, The Sorcerer's Stone, in Irish," Ooh. and so she got this like one of the first copies of. Uh, the Philosopher's Stone is what they call it over there. In, really? Yeah, in <laughs> Irish. 
And so, yeah, it's super cool. That is so cool. And yeah. it's interesting. The nerd in me comes out because um, with uh, reading The Four Hour Chef by uh, Tim Ferriss, mm -hmm. and he, within that book, he basically uses um, cooking to be able to teach you how to learn anything uh, very quickly. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that he would talk about was um, how he learned. He was fluent in ju or not judo, Jesus. He was fluent in <laughs> Japanese in uh, three to six months. I can't remember. It was one of Damn. those. Damn. Literally to the point to where he and was that's supposed to be a hard language, indistinguishable from um, from uh, like native speakers. And, really? Yeah. He, and what he did was he liked judo, mm -hmm. and he he got put in classes basically that were supposed to be he thought it was for english students like learning japanese mm -hmm. he got put in traditional japanese class for japanese kids mm -hmm. he did not know japanese at all mm -hmm. so he's like oh fuck so just super immersed exactly mm -hmm. and what happened though is he was scrambling but he liked judo he was practicing judo at the time and he would look at the judo moves in japanese so he already knew what they were mm -hmm. so he could infer what it meant and because of that it wasn't like um he wasn't learning, like, I think there was, there's like 20, to, oh God, I don't, I'm throwing out a random number. Mm -hmm. There are thousands of characters mm -hmm. to learn, and right. they have very complicated. But he's like, well, it, you can take down the 20% of symbols mm -hmm. that account for 80% of the language. Mm -hmm. And that's found in, uh, in manuals, uh, mm -hmm. comic books, that's found in newspapers, because you're going to, like right now, what we're saying, right? We're only using really a handful of words. Mm -hmm. Like they say that people use, I think it's 200 to mm -hmm. 300 words. Yeah, it's not very many. Yeah, ex exactly. It's very yeah. small. And so if you just learn that mm -hmm. and you can learn like relative language to piecemeal it all together and sound fluent. Mm -hmm. So he'd use something he knew, which is, you yeah. know, judo, and he'd look at it and he'd relearn. Mm -hmm. And so when he was doing it from there, he already knew the information, so he can start inferring and then connecting the dots, and then he would read comic books that he was really interested in or books. Mm -hmm. So when your wife gets the book, you know, Harry Potter, a book she knows really well, mm -hmm. and it's in Irish, it's like a perfect opportunity yeah. to try to reread it and yeah. kind of infer. And, then and she's like a super nerd. She was like oh, trying yeah. to like, she was trying to learn like... Irish words to get us around, mm -hmm. like oh, if yes. need be, like beforehand. She downloaded this like app that like teaches you like hand to hand, like here's the English, here's the Irish, and like yeah, before we went, it was super cool. That's but so yeah, cool. she should, because I mean, she's read that book probably twenty times. Mm -hmm. So yeah. yeah, she should do that. Just yeah, kind of do them, do them back to back. Oh yeah, and it sounds it's like she so, loves it. Yeah, it's so different though from mm -hmm. English. Like I don't know. It'd be really hard. It's not like it's not like a language that's like similar, so you can easily find the pattern. I'm sure you could find a pattern, but you'd have to do a lot more like comparative to be like, okay, this word is this. See, and that's what I'm trying to understand too. Is uh, well, as a t before I go on the tangent, is in that book. That's what he describes is like he sets it up to where he identifies those twenty percent of words, mm -hmm. and then he'll look at the physical translations, mm -hmm. and then he'll try to learn it from there. Mm -hmm. And while he's trying to learn it in the book without just like, oh, this is probably what this part says, he's actually learning it word for word. Mm -hmm. But then over time, it'll start picking up momentum, and then he can read throughout. Yeah. But the thing that I struggle with with languages is Spanish. I've had like a few friends who were they spoke Spanish fluently, mm -hmm. and they would tell me that. I don't know how to speak any other language besides English fluently, but they would describe it to me that ideas are described backwards. Yeah. Look at the red house. It's like, mm -hmm. look at the house. It's red. Mm -hmm. like, completely right, right, right. different. And yeah. then I wonder, like, whether it's, you know, uh, Russian, right, or Gaelic. Mm -hmm. uh, 
the language yeah. they speak natively in Ireland. Yeah. Um, we are not experts. <laughs> yes. What, how, do you think differently about something then? Because the order of how right. you think... Your thought process is different. Yeah. Ashley's aunt lives in Switzerland. And she's from over here and she works at like a pharmaceutical company in Switzerland. And a lot, because Germany's right next door, a lot of the movies that she goes to and a lot of the entertainment is in German. And she said that German's very difficult because like the, it's either like the verb or like the subject is like at the very end of the sentence. And so she's like, instead of like, Tom was running down the street, it's like, I don't know how it'd be set up, like format, but it's something along the lines of like the street was something, something, and then Tom was running. And then Whoa. she's like, so you like read the whole sentence and you don't know what it's talking about <laughs> until like the end. <laughs> that is so weird. Yeah. Wow. And that color completely changes how you experience something. Yeah. And I can now understand that whole loss in translation aspect of things. Mm -hmm. And it's weird because I'm looking at it from the context of, I really need to learn a language, <laughs> from speaking English and I can't really imagine anything else, mm -hmm. you know? It just sounds fucking nuts to me. Mm -hmm. But you even see Japanese is similar because their symbols don't even refer to a specific description. Mm -hmm. It's just like, or they don't refer to a specific definition. It's more a description or an idea mm -hmm. is attached to the symbols and you put right. them together to infer what it means. Yeah. And it's like, whoa. And you like combine them too. Yeah. yeah. And it's like poetic, but the oh, fuck, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, um, you did comedy in Ireland as well. So do you, as a comedian, right? Mm -hmm. People from the outside would see, uh, someone who does comedy international or does photography, like in the Faroe islands in mm -hmm. Iceland. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, oh, which are super beautiful. Yes. It, it, and but, I want to go to Iceland. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> and it's like, that's awesome. That seems like a lifestyle. Some people might want, but it seems so far away. And from my experience with the photographers, um, it's they're using their work vacation and mm -hmm. making it a vacation, mm -hmm. and then they're also doing their hobby. Hopefully, one day the thing just that they do, which is all photography, right? Yeah. Is it the same for you, or is it a different relationship? Like, do you just have a special job that allots you all this free time? Uh, yeah. So I get a pretty good amount of uh, vacation time through my job, and if so, we first of all it started as a vacation to the UK mm -hmm. two years ago, and then. I was like, well, I'm going to the UK. I might as well see if I can get on a show. And it was kind of one of those things where I was like, I just even like an open mic or like whatever, mm -hmm. like to say that I did even an open mic in the UK would be awesome. And I ended up, um, I asked someone who knew a guy who knew a guy and I ended up talking to this guy uh, named Ashley. And he was like, yeah, come over to my, uh, he's like, I run a, uh, it's a like an established comedy club called the South Kensington Comedy Club in London, and um, so I got to do like a ten minute set there, and it was like kind of like a new material night, mm -hmm. so it's kind of like an open mic, and then they had me like close it out with like ten minutes at the end, so it was kind of like a feature spot, mm -hmm. and I was like, oh, that's cool, like super appreciated it, got to hang out with the comics, and it was really cool because like if you're a comic, you just kind of can fit into a comic circle no matter mm -hmm. where you go, like I haven't traveled extensively within the u.s doing comedy yet but every time i have traveled to a different state it's like yeah you're a comedian mm -hmm. you get it and this was going over to the uk and it was just like yeah you're not from this country but you get it like oh, you know yeah. yeah and it was just like kind of like plugged in right away and like 
didn't know exactly everywhere. They're like, oh, yeah, we did, like, a road gig an hour from here in this town I've never heard of. But, like, I was like, I know what that's like, kind of. Yeah. Yeah. You could relate rad. to the community members despite them being another culture. Yeah. Yeah. So I got to do that in uh, England. And then this year, um, a few months ago, back in October, when we went to uh, Dublin, same thing. Talked to someone who knew a guy who knew a guy. And I ended up doing 15 minutes at um, – like super rad uh basement club um in 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 like the the like um tavern bar temple bar district yeah of so it's the biggest touristy area in probably all of ireland definitely in dublin but like very uh international and Mm -hmm. so that was the most international show that i've ever done so the one in england was like a bunch of mostly english people it wasn't a huge audience either Mm -hmm. but it was it was pretty cozy pretty intimate there's probably like 20 30 people at the one in england mm-hmm. and uh but they were mostly people who were from london just hanging out for the night and then this other one in dublin was there was since it was so touristy there were um like germans there were swedes there was people from Whoa. india there was like people from all over the world were in this room and there's probably like 80 people there mm-hmm. and so that one was I found a lot more challenging mm, to like mm-hmm. deliver my jokes and not the whole room being like ah I know mm-hmm. what you're talking about people are like mm, yeah I'm here to see if I can be entertained and I'm not exactly following yeah. and I was like oh <laughs> yeah <laughs> so I'm lost it was a much more and I did like 15 minutes to this very diverse room so it was it was a lot more challenging I had a really good time actually so <laughs> Ireland was a great trip but Ireland was a shitty trip. Like, literally shitty, because I ended up with shit in my pants a few times. Oh, wait, what? <laughs> so, for the show that I did in Dublin, I went, so it was like 10 minutes before I was supposed to go up, and I was like, yeah, I'm supposed to do 15 minutes, there's a really cool club in Dublin, I'm feeling really good about this, I'm super pumped, international gig, hell yeah. And I was like, I better take a shit before I go on stage. Mm-hmm. So I go to the bathroom, take a shit, then I look, there's no toilet paper. And I'm like, okay, so I pull up my pants, kind of waddle over to the next stall, no toilet paper. I'm like, oh, I'll use paper towels. I go out, no paper towels, they had hand dryers. <laughs> I was like, I don't want to like dry it and cake it on, yeah. it's just worse. <laughs> so I was like, Argh. and I'm like freaking out, and now it's like two minutes till I'm supposed to go on stage. And I'm like, oh. okay, I just got to do it. So I pull up my pants and button up. I pinched off pretty clean. Yeah. So don't worry about it. <laughs> and I go on stage, I did my time. I get off stage. A few people came up to me. They were like audience members. And I'm like, that was a really good set. And then like part of the thing is like they hand out free ice cream. So I got this like free ice cream pop. So I'm eating ice cream. I'm talking to a few people who said I had a good set. And the whole time I'm like, we got to go. Like I had, there's shit in my butt. We got to go. <laughs> and then my wife comes up and she's like, oh, how do you feel about your set? And I was like, I shit my pants. We got to go. And she's like, no, your set was good. I'm like, that's not what I mean. I'll tell you later. We got to go. So we like left that. It was like a, like a, cool like old like um pub i got this book about like pubs in ireland it has a lot of really cool histories wow. built in like the 1800s whoa pubs um, are that old there? yeah wow. everything's that old there <laughs> and that's like so... new over there oh my gosh but um so we like we left that environment which was a more comfortable environment but didn't have toilet paper and we <laughs> ran across the street into the next closest bar which is like five star hotel fancy swanky ass bar oh, wow. and we like come in i'm like oh and i'm like go order and she's like she's like no sit down tell me what happened and i'm like oh, i'm just i'm gonna pop into the bathroom she's like, no you gotta tell me what happened i was like there's poop in my butt <laughs> and she's like you go take care of that 
So like I went in and Irish bathrooms are like super tiny. There was like no room to like, like I could barely get into the stall and then close the door behind me because like it was just in this, in this like five star hotel bathroom. Like it's just so tiny. It was like a, like an airplane bathroom. Wow. And they're not all like that, but a lot are quite a lot smaller. Like Japanese beds. Yeah. 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 And so I'm like, so I had to like maneuver myself and and wipe and I come back out and she's like, that's gross. I wish you hadn't told me. (laughs) And then we had to order like. A couple of drinks to make it look like I just wasn't there to use their toilet paper. Yeah. It's a fancy place, but it was weird. Um, Stuck between your te- or out of your pant legs. Yeah. So that was one of the times. And then the other time, so I talked earlier about how I had all those muscles. Mm-hmm. I got food poisoning. And I woke up at like, so we had dinner, which is a shit ton of seafood. Went to bed. I woke up at like three in the morning, just like, oh my God, I'm throwing up. And so I ran to the bathroom and I threw up like a lot. And Ashley did not wake up because we like we like go pretty hard when we're on vacation, so she mm-hmm. was just out. Yeah. And so I threw up several times. Never woke her up. The next morning, I'm like, man, I'm not feeling good. I threw up like I threw up at like 3 a.m., 4 a.m., 5 a.m., 6 a.m. And she's like, wow. I was like, I think I was like, I feel a lot better now. I think it's all out of my system. And she's like, okay, great, because we had a lot of driving to do that day <laughs> through a lot of really rural, windy, bumpy, oh, not good oh, Irish oh, roads, oh, like really shaking and stirred. Yeah, crazy Irish countryside roads, and so. We get in the car, we do a lot of driving, we get to, we had to take a ferry, like drive our car onto oh, wow. a ferry mm-hmm. and take it across body water. And so <laughs> we get we get to the ferry line and I'm like starting to feel a little like, mm, I don't feel so good, but I think I'm okay. And I'm like, you know what? I better use like the bathroom because I might throw up. And so I, I stand, I get out of the car and I walk about 10 paces and it just hits me. I'm like, I'm going to throw up right now. And I like ran <laughs> and there was two tour buses of Asian tourists Full, like just like taking pictures of everything and then i just went and i like projectile vomited like biggest like five feet right in front of these two tour buses and so like several tourists have pictures of me just projectile vomiting like two or three times into these bushes um and then i got back in the car and i'm like okay it's gotta be it it's gotta be out of my system and then as we were driving through the super rural like middle of nowhere there's nothing there's no houses there's no nothing oh, wow. and we're like an hour away from anything we're driving along bumpy roads again i'm not feeling too great and i'm like i think i think i'm fine though i got this like i'm not i'm definitely not gonna throw up and suddenly i was like it was surprised i was like oh there's shit in my pants <laughs> and it wasn't like a pullover i need to shit it was just there's now a shit in my pants i did not it just leaked out <laughs> wait so uh, are we talking about like like soup shit yeah or steak shit like sick soup, thick, soup. Thick. okay like oh, like water God. it just like i had no it yeah shorts in, or pants pants okay in an irish rental car <laughs> and it's like oh you need to pull over there's shit in my pants ashley was driving so she pulls over and it's just like i'm on the side of the road in super rural ireland and i had to take off my pants and my underwear on the side and then like right when i did that like a tractor and like the five cars it was holding up slowly go by <laughs> like trying to hide half in the car with no pants on and it was terrible. Oh, my gosh. And then, so that was the night that probably the most, like, culturally different. Like, mm-hmm. so after all this driving, and I haven't been feeling good all day, and we did, like, six or seven hours on the road of me not feeling good the entire day, and I just want to, like, get to the place we're staying, and we're, again, just, Irish roads are not well-maintained, really? so it's just bumpy the whole time. And oh Ashley's gosh. like, do you want me to slow down and take the bump slower, or do you want me to just floor it and deal with the bumps and we'll get there faster i'm gonna just floor it i just want to get to the place we're staying so like a couple hours later we get to this place and we pick this place 
it was an Airbnb and it was super remote. Oh. And it was like we didn't have like phone service out there and they didn't give us an address. I asked several times for a specific address <laughs> and they gave us this like word that like again it's not in English, so I don't want to know what it means. And I'm like, maybe it's a road and maybe it's the only house on that road or something. And it was a road, but it wasn't the only house. Oh gosh. And then we go up and down and like the picture that we had of the Airbnb didn't look like any of the houses on that road. <laughs> so we went and we like knocked on the door of the house that it most looked like and nobody answered. And we're like, we're in like, at this point we're like in Northern, like getting up into Northern Ireland. Mm -hmm. So it's more like, um, more like remote, mm -hmm. more rural and more um, traditional like Irish. Wow. And so we're like, ah. and so like I have like really spotty cell reception and I'm trying to like message through the Airbnb app like, hey, like we're, I think we're in the area, but I have no idea. And there's, there's only one road. Like it's just one road that's like 10 miles long wow. with an occasional house along it. And the houses are probably like a half a mile at least apart, that's if not further. crazy. Is it like more flat rolling hills or is it very mountainous? Like... A lot of Ireland is very rolling. Very rolling. Okay. This area was near the coast. It was more flat. Okay. Um, wow. And it was like it was getting dark, and we just like we didn't know what to do. And the uh, like the last message from the Airbnb lady was like, "I'm at work, and I'm running an errand, and I'll be back to my computer soon, or something like that." And I just I feel so gross and sick. <laughs> and she finally messaged me back. She's like, "Okay, where are you at?" And I'm like trying to tell her like we passed this. There's no landmarks. It's yeah. just houses and fields. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know. We passed this house and. There's literally only one road, so there's not even like crossroads I can wow. reference. I know we're in the correct 10-mile strip of one <laughs> road, but I was like, we just kept driving back and forth, and then we like hit this the one intersection on the one end, uh -huh. and she's like, oh, I know where you are. Turn back around. So she's like, and my mom, she was like probably my age, the mm -hmm. gal I was communicating with, and she's like, my mom is standing outside waiting for you. And we'd passed this like old lady on the road a couple of times, but she'd made no like waving us down or anything. Right. Maybe it was her. So we drive back. And as we're driving up to the only old woman on this road, she's still like not acknowledging us at all. And so we roll down and we're like, is this the Airbnb? And she just nods because she didn't speak English. And she just like nods. And we're like, okay. And we're like, and we, the reason we couldn't find it was because the Airbnb was like a separate, um, a separate housing unit mm. behind their main house so we oh, couldn't see it from the yeah. road so we had to like park in their driveway and then walk around and it was really nice it mm -hmm. was a cozy little place but like just the trying to find it and then the link like after driving all day and being sick all day and then the language barrier of like like we walked in and she was like keys it's like <laughs> thanks and then she like she's like a uh, washing machine which a lot of washing machines over there are very small and they're one load washing machines what? so you can throw like five shirts and a pair of pants and that's all that can fit and it does the wash and then the same unit does the drying and then this one for whatever reason took like six hours for a load to do <laughs> and there was no directions and the buttons were really confusing and we could not figure out how to work it but it sucked but she was like keys washing machine and then she pointed at all of the kitchen utensils and she's like spatula <laughs> okay <laughs> And then she left. <laughs> All right, perfect. That's all you need to eat with a spatula. spatula. <laughs> yeah. So that was probably the most, that was the most challenging part of the trip. But other than that, it was really good. <laughs> that sounds like fun, though. Yeah. Same time. Well, not in the moment, but. Yeah. yeah. A good story afterwards. <laughs> That's awesome, man. Yeah. So have you always had this desire to travel? You seem to be, to really enjoy it. Yeah, I love traveling. I've always wanted to, and I grew up not having a lot of money mm -hmm. and my family didn't go on like vacations or anything like when I was growing up we never 
I mean, we'd go on like day drives kind of, and yeah, we did we did some like maybe across a state or two, but never anything super crazy or for super long. Um, we never went to like Yosemite or Disneyland or anything like that. Like it was just kind of day trips. And so I always wanted to travel. And now that I have kind of the flexibility with the job and both Ashley and I have jobs that pay fine. They don't, I'm, we're mm-hmm. not making it like rolling in the money. People at my job are like, how are you traveling? You work here. So I know how much you make. Yeah. <laughs> how are you traveling? It's like, we just you travel frugally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, and you save, smart. you do like one trip and you just save for it for like a year. Mm-hmm. And then it doesn't cost as much as you think it does to travel. No. So. Like there's, um, especially if you're able to just, you know, pay your rent and stuff like that. Like, mm-hmm. The food, depending on what country you go to, that is, mm-hmm. from the people that I've talked to, mm-hmm. the food isn't even that expensive. I mean, mm-hmm. you go through Airbnbs, and mm-hmm. it's like, and there's something to be said about the delayed gratification once again. Because, like, mm-hmm. for me, I, I know exactly what it's like. Like, I, I always tell my tell people that I have no business doing a lot of the things that I do mm-hmm. because I'm not, like, financially able. I just try to make it work. Mm-hmm. And that's the same with like traveling. Like I, mm-hmm. you know, set a lot of things aside. Try not to eat at restaurants. Is you know, I'll go occasionally, mm-hmm. but I'll cook from home mm-hmm. because I know that that restaurant isn't going to be as valuable as that other restaurant if I go to some other country. You know, mm-hmm. with my son or by myself or yeah. some shit like that. Yeah, like it's, we yeah we like barely. I mean, we do go out to eat mm-hmm. occasionally, but we do all of our home cooking. We don't like get like the like microwave meals or anything like that. We bring our lunches to work that we made at home. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, we save, I mean, we save money on that and we live pretty frugally. I mean, I get to travel for comedy, but I'm at the point in comedy where comedy kind of is at least paying for itself. Mm-hmm. Like even kind of, so I bought plane tickets to um, Alaska for this festival I'm doing mm-hmm. in April. And I was able to get like tickets round trip to Alaska for like, I was looking at it originally. It was supposed to be like four hundred dollars, and it ended up being like two hundred dollars, like round trip, two hundred bucks on tickets. And I ended up using money that I had gotten from recent comedy shows to pay for like half of it, mm-hmm. not all of it, but half of it. And then like right after that, I got a like a comedy paycheck that would have covered it. And I was like, well, I didn't have it in. I have like a comedy account mm-hmm. in like in my Smart. bank. Yeah. So Good like taxes. yeah, covers yeah covers gas covers food while I'm out. So mm-hmm. yeah, kind of it's comedy is like self funding at this point really so that's yeah. good yeah and that's something that so like for the majority of people who are pursuing a discipline specifically one where you get better by doing it like mm-hmm. you don't apply for it necessarily photography is a good example i keep going back to that but mm-hmm. writing right you don't apply mm-hmm. to be a fucking author well i guess you could be a journalist there's mm-hmm. i mean comedy there's similar avenues where you can get hired for mm-hmm. something you submit for publications and stuff though when you're an author yeah especially if you're like freelance that's true yeah, yeah or that. books or whatever but <laughs> with that though like from the outside it's like how do you even do like you mm-hmm. know do this and i don't want to dig into it too deeply i mean maybe on another show or another episode Mm -hmm. um but like that slow transition from i'm spending all my time not making any money off this it's fun Mm -hmm. why you're here it's Mm -hmm. exciting yeah and then over time with the photographers as well they're just get get good enough at photography that someone's willing to at least pay them you Mm -hmm. know it's probably not very much but pay them and Mm -hmm. then you're starting to get to the point to where you're at least not spending 
everything on it, starting mm-hmm. to pay back into it. You mm-hmm. break even, and then yeah. you start making money, and yeah. so on. It's, that's even the same with my business. Like mm-hmm. I started off, you know, you put two thousand dollars in this business, it costs you a little bit more money, and you start breaking even as long as you're smart with it, mm-hmm. and then you start making profit. And as long as you hold out and be consistent, like yeah. you're rewarded in the end. Man. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. That's it's so cool because. Having people who are uh, around me who are doing that mm-hmm. pushes me to continue to do that. Because mm-hmm. it's hard when, you, you know, at least initially, when you don't, you're not required to show up somewhere for your livelihood mm-hmm. because, you know, you're making an hourly wage. Like it's, I mean, I would argue it's probably easier for you to show up to work than it is to comedy, but you really enjoy comedy, see? Right. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, like oftentimes you're still going to mics, mm-hmm. still working on stuff, you're traveling for mics you're not getting paid for it even though you're traveling mm-hmm. quite a long ways and then you don't get pay so it'd be really easy not to do it mm-hmm. but i yep. enjoy it yeah so, and yeah. see and that's where i get with like with podcasting with writing and comedy and I just have so many different things but um is that there's this love mm-hmm. and i don't even care if it seems either masochistic unrealistic or pipe dream or any of these things it's i don't i don't care mm-hmm. if i didn't have a house i would do it mm-hmm and it's just compulsive at that yeah. point. And it's, but it's a compul, a compulsion or not even a compulsion. It's something that I revel in mm-hmm. that pays me back exponentially mm-hmm. in life experience um, that money couldn't even compare to. It's just like your travel. Like you, you don't make any money from traveling yeah. in these scenarios, but you do because mm-hmm. if time is like the only thing that you have in this mm-hmm. life, like you, you have gain experiences and connections, you have and 45 years, Brady. Yeah. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Great. You know exactly when I'm going to die. It's perfect. Have I have like, 45 left or I have 45 total. 45 I've, total. Oh shoot. I have 15 and a little bit left. Live it up. <laughs> yeah. Great. <laughs> well, we got like 90 to hundred years. I think, isn't that like average life expectancy? I don't know. Probably. I don't expect my life expectancy to be, is probably like 60 personally. 60? <laughs> yeah. I got like uh, probably I'll stick at sixty two. Yeah, I don't want to hurt. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> but that's all you have is life, and that goes back to yeah. what we were talking about in the beginning. Is is like you know you just seek pleasure and experiences, excitement, mm-hmm. community, feeling like you're belonging, right? Mm-hmm. And like those things matter at the end of the day in a way that's really easy, at least for a certain group of people that I know to forget. Mm-hmm. Like people that I've, I you know, at any job that I've been at, there's probably. More often than not, people who would forget that. Mm-hmm. Maybe they forget that, or maybe they're just they're not into the shit at all, and they just want to show up. I, mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't want to put that on them. But for me personally, I guess I forget sometimes. Yeah. So I assume they do too. But yeah. Yeah. Probably. And yeah. Is there, where, where's the next place that you're thinking about going to? Mm, I don't know if I said this before we started or after, but so we're thinking about going to Switzerland next. Yeah. Yeah. Um, at the end of the year, um, as far as comedy wise. Um, yeah, so I don't know as far as comedy, like like I said, whenever I travel, I try to try to book a show wherever I'm going, even mm-hmm. if the trip is for pleasure, I might as well drop another like plot on my like comedy map of places I've performed. And but with Switzerland, um, Ashley's aunt lives over there, which is why we're going over there, and her boyfriend, um, from Switzerland came over a couple Christmases ago and was just kinda telling us about we got to hang out with him and he was it was really funny. We got him these um we were like, well, what is he like? And her aunt was like, oh, he likes beer and he likes food. And so we got him like really nice, like local gourmet snacks. And we got him some craft beer that Ooh. obviously he wouldn't get over there. And we gave it to him. And he was really like, eh. He's like, I don't, I don't really want that. He was like, I want, 
he wanted canned Easy Cheese, and he wanted Budweiser King of the Beers. Because, <laughs> canned Easy Cheese? Yeah, canned Easy Cheese, and then he kept saying the whole thing, Budweiser King of the Beers. He's like, get me Budweiser King of the Beers. And I was like, okay, I mean, that's what you see as being super American, so it makes sense. But like, But he was telling us as we were having this conversation that uh in switzerland it's very um i don't see comedy working over there i have a friend who just did um show like literally a couple days ago he's over in germany right now and he did a couple shows in um, munich and um so i don't have any doubt i could get on a show in germany but as far as switzerland from what this guy said is very closed to outsiders and I don't think would be supportive of kind of like an outsider's humor. Mm -hmm. Even, yeah, I mean, and a lot of it again is very, because of the geography, there's a lot of mountains. And so towns are very small, very sparse, sparse, very far apart. Um, So I I picture it being very rural Mm. and I think it would be hard. I mean, there's big, there's like Zurich. Yeah. um, Which might have a comedy scene. Mm -hmm. I just, I feel like it would be harder to get plugged into the Switzerland comedy scene than it was to do England or Ireland or Germany. That, that makes sense because people, a lot of comedians do very well in Australia, right? Mm-hmm. And Australia is plugged into mm-hmm. American culture so much so that they, they follow politics here, which mm-hmm. is fucking weird. Yeah. But I never thought specifically with comedy that having someone or a culture that's very disconnected mm-hmm. uh, would actually be really difficult to mm-hmm. be able to entertain. Mm-hmm. Uh, have you watched the documentary? Uh, Tom Segura mm-hmm. was in it. It's on Amazon Prime, I believe, okay. where they do the international comedy tour, and they're going oh. into like countries like Singapore and then uh, very obscure cities in China. Okay. They're trying to establish like I don't know where Presence. Singapore is. Um, <laughs> <laughs> international tours in China. Yeah, yeah, and um, that's cool. Yeah, and the, one of them was like you know in Singapore, if you talk about. Drug use. If you talk talk shit about the um, yeah. government, yeah. like they're very very strict on that, and there's like mm-hmm. death penalties and stuff. So, but one of the sets that they did was in Singapore, and it was really interesting to see how like they talked to local comics because there's mm-hmm. like a budding open mic scene in some of these places, mm-hmm. um, and how they have to navigate that. But these yeah. people coming in, they didn't it didn't matter as much for them, so they're a little yeah. more fast and loose. But their jokes on the audience, some of them that were funny to me were absolutely not funny yeah. to them. I don't have much experience with an international audience. Yeah. It's like, whoa. And that's what I found to be hard, the most, probably one of the most difficult audiences to read that I've ever done in Dublin with a very mixed uh, international audience. It was like I could I could connect with like the, you know, like the front little bit of the room and then scattered people throughout mm-hmm. as I think like there was like a, a group of like German guys who were like, yeah, like pretty into it. And they understood English and they're like, yeah, you're funny. We get it. Mm-hmm. And they're pretty Americanized. And then there was um, people from um, like Dublin, kind of the, the hubs that are more, like I said earlier, homogenized. Mm-hmm understood it and then the people from there's people from like um like sweden and like um india and like other countries that i I think they had a more of a disconnect and i think they were still following everyone Mm -hmm. seemed to be focused but i don't think they were catching all of the jokes Mm -hmm. and all the references and things and i tried to again when i do like when i um do audiences that I, I know going into it there's going to be a mix of um kind of demographics i try to pick 
jokes that seem pretty, at least to me, seem pretty. Anyone across the board should be able to identify or mm-hmm. relate to this. There's nothing, you know, super deep uh, politically or like I'm not doing anything like that's just very like a focused demographic. It's just kind of general across the board humor. And I found that room very hard to read. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Really? Yeah. And when you write to that, are you – what's the process like writing to that? Are you just questioning like a human experience that is not – that that other that almost everyone would share? Or are you trying to like actively ask yourself, can, you know, the general audience relate to this? And then you like try it's to more that it yeah, It's more that I have my jokes, my selection of jokes that I can pick from. Mm-hmm. And I have – a, a good chunk of time and if I'm doing 10 minutes or if I'm doing 15 minutes then I'll hand pick the jokes out of the library of jokes that I have and be like okay for this audience I know that they're older and more conservative mm-hmm. therefore I'm going to do jokes about my marriage because mm-hmm. they can relate probably to marriage or at least relationships um, I'm going to be relatively more on the squeaky clean side of things mm-hmm. um, and so I'll, I'll hand select my jokes. For this one, I try to pick. I try to like go through my material, like all of my material, and like cross off jokes that I couldn't do. Mm-hmm. I was like, I have a joke about uh, the Boy Scouts, mm-hmm. which I told in uh, England, and I researched oh. it before, and they do have a similar program, but they call it the Scouts. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of just had to tweak the joke slightly, oh, okay. and then I could tell as I was telling it, I was like, yeah, and they were selling popcorn and Girl Scout cookies, mm-hmm. and people are kind of like, is, like, is this the same idea? And then as I got more into it, they're like, okay, yeah, it's fine, we mm-hmm. get it, like yeah. we understand where it is coming from. We call it something different, but yeah, sure, it's the same basic mm-hmm. concept. But then like other jokes, I'm like, well, I can't do that one, I can't do that one, I can't do that one, I can't do that one for it's too specific, it's too American, it's too whatever. Mm-hmm. And so I just kind of kicked all those jokes out, and then whatever I had left, then I had to like pick my favorites from. Oh, it's like, I okay, I, I think this one will work here. I think this one will work, mm-hmm. and then throw those ones together. So sure. that's kind of how I pick jokes for yeah. any show. Mm-hmm. If it's – some audiences are like there's not really like – either there's not the information going into it as to like what kind of audience it is, or it's just kind of like a well, – it's drunk people at a bar, anything kind of work <laughs> yeah, exactly. generally. Um, but yeah, so in going along as you do comedy, I imagine your your ability to understand an audience mm-hmm. and define an audience mm-hmm. grows, right? Yeah, I did. I was gonna tell you this. Mm-hmm. I did um, my first corporate holiday party Ooh. over this last Christmas. So it was just like a month ago, mm-hmm. and it was a friend of mine messaged me on Facebook and he said, "Hey, um, my company." Um, is doing a uh, Christmas party and they want entertainment and I'm part of the planning committee. So I suggest the comedian, they seem on board. Can you and a couple of people fill an hour at our Christmas party? And I was like, I was like, yeah, we could do that. I mean, that's, that's a lot of like for a very specific environment. Like if it was at like a bar or a, you know, at a comedy club, Mm-hmm. that's one thing but for he's like it's like a dinner party for work <laughs> oh. and i was like we can as long as i was like what are like the what are the parameters as far as content and that kind of stuff i was like can we swear can we be dirty because it was more of like a blue collar job mm-hmm. and he's like yeah he's like no issues with swearing you can kind of be dirty but don't go too gross because again it's a dinner party mm-hmm. so don't gross people out but you can 
be a little more relaxed. I was like, okay, cool. So I got two friends on board. Each of them was going to do 15 minutes. So 15-minute opener, 15-minute middle person, and then I was going to do a half hour. Mm -hmm. And so we roll in, and I get there, and it's 250 people at this company dinner party. And when I walked in, I was like, this is going to be hard mm -hmm. because it was such a diverse demographic of everybody. Oh. There was young people. There were old people. There were um, several languages spoken. The owner was um, an East Indian guy, and he obviously spoke English, but he had a lot of employees who didn't speak English. Also, a lot of employees who spoke Spanish. <laughs> and so he comes up and he's like, hey, how's it going? I'm like, hey. I was like, thanks for having us. Getting to know him. He seemed really cool. He was like, he walked up the first thing he said to me. He's like, oh, I heard some shit about you. And I was like, cool. This guy's super relaxed. <laughs> yeah. He's going to be fine. And so I'm like, so like looking at your audience here, like what should I expect? And he's like, okay, there's 250 people about in this room. Probably about 50 of them don't speak English. <laughs> And I was like, oh, it's like, that's good to know a half hour before I perform a half hour in English. <laughs> and he's like, so if they don't look like they're following along, it's because they don't know what you're saying. And I was like, well, that's good to know. <laughs> and then so and then there was also like people's like economic spectrum was all over the place. There's people in jeans and NASCAR T-shirts. There's people in like fancy ballroom dresses. <laughs> it was the most. Wow diverse audience you could picture of 250 people and i was like okay oh and then so i'm talking to the boss and i'm like but like swearing's okay and he's like no no oh. swearing and this is again about a half hour before i'm supposed to go up and i'd plan jokes that involve swearing and i'm like well shit so then i asked my buddy who booked me on it and i was like the big boss said no swearing and he's like you can swear and i was like well he said no swearing he's like you he doesn't know what he's talking about you can swear and i'm like okay well now i'm getting conflicting information oh, as to what no. i should do and i'm like shoot so like the first guy goes up, and he kind of got him, like, half on board, mm -hmm. but he he could tell he wasn't going to be able to fill 15 minutes with just the vibe of the room. Oh, yeah. So he did about 8 to 10, <laughs> yeah. and then he cut it short. He brought the next guy up. The next guy was also supposed to do a 15. He mm -hmm. did about 10 to 12. Ooh. He cut it short, and then he brings me up, and I'm like, I'm just going to do my material that I planned from start to finish. And, like, I kind of, like, as I was going through it, I was like, okay, be respectful of where you're at. He told you to be clean. So I'm sticking to like the cleaner side of things. And I can tell of the 250 people, huge room. Mm -hmm. And I have literally have to turn like left and right to be able to like address everybody. Wow. Like it's a big, it's a big wide room. And so, <laughs> so I'm, I'm up there and I'm doing my jokes and I'm cleaning it. Like I'm cleaning them up as I'm going along. If there's a swear word, I'm substituting something else. If there's, if it's too raunchy, I'm just kind of dropping it. And I can tell about 10 to 15 minutes into what's supposed to be a half hour set that at that point, and it was later in the evening, we'd, we'd were, we showed up when the party started and this was like a couple hours into it. People were like blackout drunk. <laughs> there was a lady sitting, there was no stage. Also, I was standing on, on the floor and then everyone's seated. So I'm only, oh. my head's like two feet above everyone else's yeah. head. So a lot of people can't even see me. And then there's a woman sitting at the closest table. She's about six feet away from me and she can, she's blackout drunk oh, my entire no. set. She's just like, <laughs> her eyes aren't focused. Her mouth is open the whole time. <laughs> and I'm like, this is going great. And so I realized that I'm really entertaining the closest 40 to 50 people. Mm-hmm. 
in my immediate vicinity in this immediate horseshoe, these people are paying attention, and I can tell everyone beyond them probably can't see me. The sound system wasn't super great. Ooh. They probably can't hear me. They're entertaining themselves. So I'm like, these people are my audience. These are the people I'm going to entertain. So I just kind of settled into that. And as I was going through my material, I'm like, these people can handle a little raunchier and some swearing. So I started real clean, and then halfway through, 15 minutes in, I switched up gears a little bit. And they were really into it. They were into it. The boss seemed at that point like he was like, just do whatever. Yeah. Like he, I could tell on his Relax. face, he was like, just, yeah, just, just do it. Like, oh. just do your material. Just, you're good. And so, yeah. And then I, I finished with like my mushroom story, mm -hmm. which involves psychedelic drugs, a little bit of swearing. I mime doing a hand job in it. <laughs> and my buddies, the other two comedians who are on the show, I can see them in the back corner and they're going, no, no, no. And I just like pulled out all the stops. I'm like, these 40 people are having a good time. So I'm going to have a good time for these 40 people. Yeah. And they, they thought it was entertaining. I finished the show. I walked off <laughs> to like scattered applause. <laughs> and then, yeah. And then like the boss was like, yeah, you defined. He's like, I understood this was a really weird room. And he's like, we've never done live comedy before. He's like, I don't know if we will again. But he's <laughs> like, I understand it was a really different, difficult room mm -hmm. uh, wow. for you guys. He's like, I appreciate what you did. And I mean, we got paid. So. Dude, that's tight. <laughs> yeah. Man. He's like, he's like, yeah, here's, here's your paychecks. He's, you did, he's like, you did good. He's like, I didn't. He's like, <laughs> he himself was not. Um, a comfortable public speaker, the, uh, the main big boss of this company. He's like, he, he wow. knew how to run a company, mm -hmm. um, but you could tell big public speaking was not his forte. Mm -hmm. And he, when I was talking to him earlier, he was like, oh, I gotta write my speech. And he was like sweating, he's wiping his brow, he's like, oh. I gotta write my speech. I do this like five minute speech, and he's freaking about out about this five minute mm -hmm. speech that he had to do, <laughs> which he went up and he kind of asked, thanks for being here, we're having our company appreciation thing. And it's very straight to the point all the normal bullet points you should say at mm -hmm. that kind of thing and it was less than it was like three minutes long and he's like and now we're gonna have some comedians mm -hmm. to entertain you and so like i could tell he was coming from a place of like i don't know how to mm, yeah entertain my company mm -hmm. so you guys did what you did and i appreciate it yeah. and i was like cool man like yeah, yeah it was cool wow and that respect that you got from towards the end too that yeah. was really cool yeah it's interesting when you get halfway through and you're like this fucking sucks. Mm -hmm. And then you realize you have the 40 people right here and mm -hmm. you make it like the best situation that you mm -hmm. can, man. Yeah, that's, that's all you can do at some shows is the people who are paying attention and who are enjoying it is just for them. Like, mm -hmm. I've performed. So that was 250 people in a room and I entertained 40 or 50 of them. I've done... I drove, uh, like, five hours down to Oregon to do a show and, like, everybody left... Like, the audience, like, was just burned out on mm -hmm. comedy, like, halfway through the show. And so they were, like, trickling out. And I was supposed to be, like, the headliner or the feature at the end. And they're trickling out. And by the time I went up, there was the producer. There was, like, three audience members. There was my cousin who came because he'd never seen me do live comedy. He'd like, heard about me, but he'd never seen me. And I hadn't seen him in, like, three years. And then his wife. So I performed for, like, seven pe <laughs> six, seven people. Mm -hmm. Um... And I did like a half hour and it was just like that show was just for my cousin and the booker <laughs> yeah. and, and then like the other couple of people who were like kind of paying attention. But I was like, yeah, like you just perform for whoever's there and make them have a good time. Mm -hmm. And that's all you can do. Yeah. Like if you, if you're like, mm, sucks, and you start like berating, it's not the mm -hmm. audience's fault. Mm -hmm. No matter how big or how small, it's like you're there to put on a show, put it on. <laughs> yeah. And that's, is it. 
how long has it take you taken you to learn that to always put on a show and to really enjoy it despite like the audience turnout um it was a few years uh i mean probably it was like a year and a half in so few years ago at this point mm-hmm. i was talking to uh luke severide is a seattle comedian and i mean he goes all over the place but he's based out of there and he um was telling me at a show one time and it sounds so cliche but like it's the best piece of advice i've ever gotten it's just just go up there and just have fun if you're having fun the audience will have fun if you stress about it mm-hmm. that stress will come through and the audience will see that you're stressed and the audience won't have a good time mm-hmm. so he said just go up there have fun you have fun they'll have fun and so i just try to rem- like there are still shows where i get stressed out and i get like ah and my anxiety shows and usually if that's happening i can realize that and calm myself within the first couple of minutes and then the rest of the show is fine but like with that big show for 250 people that was one of those situations where it was such like almost an impossible situation Mm -hmm. that I thought it was kind of hilarious. I was like, we're here to do this show and this, there's no way that we're going to entertain all these people. Mm -hmm. They're too diverse. The sound system's kind of shitty. Like there's not an elevated stage. So not even everyone can see us. Like it's not going to like, I shouldn't have high expectations Mm -hmm. because those expectations are not going to be met. If I lower my expectations and just commit to having a good time, Mm -hmm. then I'll have a good time. Mm -hmm. And so it was just more about like, keeping myself positive and just like rolling with the people who were paying attention. Then I got off stage and one of the other comedians was like, (laughs) he's like, this is a weird ass show, but he's like, I got to hand it to you. You stuck to your stuff (laughs) and you did your stuff and you didn't get flustered. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's all you can do. (laughs) Exactly, man. That's, um, and that's that thing that I find most important. Anything that I do is being excited, whether it's like jujitsu or running Mm -hmm. and there's actual science that shows, for running anyways, mm-hmm. that your attitude towards it has a direct um, relationship with your your speed or your running efficiency. Mm-hmm. How well you can fucking run, your mileage, yeah. your mile times. I don't know where my brain is. Run. Right now. I'm almost fried. <laughs> yeah. But, um, and with that, like, that's the reason why I do all these things. Mm-hmm. Is that feeling when you're in the pocket? Mm-hmm. Like, you could just really get into your material or mm-hmm. your hitting like a, a writing streak I mean mm-hmm. jujitsu and it's like that timeless moment right mm-hmm. where I'm having so much fun mm-hmm. and like it completely overtakes me and I'm almost like it's almost like an out of body experience mm-hmm. in the sense that I'm not in my head thinking about the the past or the future I'm just now mm-hmm. right and um and the more that I can get there the more rich my life mm-hmm. but not letting external things dictate that, right? Because mm-hmm. if you go, like, I show up to a jiu-jitsu tournament um, and maybe I shit myself on my way there because it's too much MCT oil. Yeah. And, and then I got to clean myself up, right? Or there's, I don't have the best uh, competitors. Right? Mm-hmm. Maybe they're all bigger than me. Mm-hmm. Or you go to a show and there's not that many people there. Right? Mm-hmm. If you can turn off those external, um, the external environment and mm-hmm. still be able to find that pocket, man. Mm-hmm more fun to you and yeah if we only have so much time i mean mm-hmm. what the fuck else is there right yeah just trying to work on getting in that moment more and more mm-hmm. and yeah, yeah. And it's cool yeah i mean i've done i've yeah spent all day driving back and forth to a show just mm-hmm. to do like a little bit of stage time mm-hmm. and then when i get there there's not as many people as i thought there'd be or you know like i don't know just something is not how i anticipated and it's like you know like 
I made it here. Just do, for whatever this venue is, do the best show possible. Mm -hmm. And then I never feel like I have a bad time. Even if, like, objectively, I was like, that was a shitty show. <laughs> or, like, that was, like, a, I, like, that set wasn't that great. Like, I still had a good time. It's still, like, a notch in my belt or, like, an experience or a growing opportunity. Because often those, like, the weird, shitty shows where you feel kind of awkward on stage are like the big growing moments mm. and like those are the like those are the ones that are most memorable like if you have like an average show like it went pretty well it was it went pretty well but it was kind of average i just kind of like forget those ones mm. and then the ones that are like really good or really bad are the ones that it's like yeah mm. those are the like the stories came out of those ones mm -hmm. yeah that's powerful man yeah huh. and it's, it's interesting our relationship uh with discomfort right mm -hmm. And also absolute or near perfection. When you mm -hmm. do the best of your capability in that week or that month, whether mm -hmm. it's running, you, you hit a PR for your running, or you, you've really dug into the pocket and you know you're really hitting home with the material that you're mm -hmm. doing. It's finally coming, right? Mm -hmm. And those things matter so much. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's, uh, I don't want to take up any more of your time though, man. Oh, cool. Uh, yeah. That was <laughs> yeah, good. Sorry. Nice. Um, but is there anywhere that people can find out more about any upcoming shows you'll be on? Or um, I'm working on, like last time you asked me about a website, I'm mm -hmm. currently working on that. Um, so if you go to bradycekeels.com, you'll see currently under construction or whatever it <laughs> says. Uh, this website is being worked on. But uh, So I'm working on that. So that'll soon be a thing. Um, right now it's just my Facebook. Um, so I have my personal Facebook. Um, you can add me. Uh, right now, I'm not at my follower limit <laughs> on that. Uh, so it's just my name, Brady Seekills. I also have a comedy Facebook, so Brady Seekills Comedy. Um, and then I'm on Twitter and Instagram. And if you go on Instagram, you can see really cool pictures of Ireland yeah. and England and Scotland. It's perhaps my And my favorite. shows. <laughs> All right, perfect. Thank you so much, Brady. Cool, thanks. Woo-wee! Thank you guys for listening to this episode of the podcast. As always, it's a joy to talk with Brady. Damn! I didn't know Ireland was so cool. Well, yeah, I did. It's rich in culture. I mean, come on. How can you not like a place like that? Especially with the dramatic sweeping cliffs. Mm. I'm going to have to get out there, y'all. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. If you'd like to learn more about Brady, you can find him on Instagram and Facebook as Brady Sequels. And I'll leave the links to the both of his accounts in the show notes. If you don't know how to spell his name, just close your eyes and start typing shit. You'll figure it out. <laughs> if you'd like to support the show, go over to becominghumanpodcast.com. Leave a comment. Share it with a friend. Or rate it on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever you happen to listen to this shit. Please and thank you, y'all. It's been a fun ride, and I hope you guys enjoy your week. I'm going to play y'all out with a song by Die Antwood, Enter the Ninja. I figured it was appropriate, just like it's appropriate to drink fucking, I don't know. You know what? I just lost it. Yeah. Enjoy yourself. Also, for the men in... Um, lesbians out there, do y'all think the the lady off Diane Woods hot? Man, it's a contentious debate between my my friends and I, and not just men friends. If you think I'm a misogynist, you motherfuckers. 
Some women think she's hot, too. I just don't understand it. I mean, sure, if you like a chick with a fucking ball cut and eyebrows so long you can use them as blankets. You know what she reminds me of? She reminds me of, um, God damn it. What are those little fucking troll dolls you used to play with? Ah, I'm going to figure this out. Ha! That's what it is. She reminds me of a fucking Furby. I mean, a lot of people like Furbies, so she's a human embodiment of a Furby. Damn. Never met one of those. (laughs) Ha! Until next time. said I wouldn't make it. He said I was a loser. He said I was a no one. He said I was a fucking soccer. 
But look at me now, all up in the interweb. Worldwide, 2009, Futurista, Enter the Ninja, Yo Landy Fusser, DJ Hot Deck, The Falcon Artwood, It's my name, I'm a ninja! Yeah.